Good evening. I'd like to call to order the September 5th meeting of the Rock County Planning Commission. Sarah, if you'd be so kind as to call the roll. Steve Warnke. Yes. Brian Kelly. Andrew Benjamin. Rick Brookshire. John Merrill. Present. Phil Norris. Here. Uh, Greg Yeager. Here. Peter Flintz. Here. Robert Marshall. Here. Jeff Hess. Thank you, Sarah. We have a quorum. Um, a bit of housekeeping before we get started. Number one, I'd appreciate it if all cell phones are either silenced or turned off or already a few Number two, there should have been a sign-up sheet going around. We'd like everybody to sign in. My, is it around there someplace? Everybody's on that? Yep. Good. Thank you. And lastly, um, these proceedings are available for the public to listen in on via telephone. However, the only way that really works effectively is if we all use the microphone. So anyone that will be addressing the commission this evening, I'd ask that you use the lectern and that microphone. Thank you. First order of business, public comment. Anyone who wishes to address the commission on any items that are not on the agenda this evening, now would be the time to do so. Seeing and hearing none, we'll move forward to the approval of the minutes from July 18th. Any questions, any additions, subtractions, deletions, corrections, or what have you? Might there be a motion forthcoming? Mr. Chair, so moved. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, John. All those in favor of approving the minutes of July 18th, please signify by saying yes. Yes. Opposed say no. Motion carries. Minutes of August 1st. Again, any corrections, deletions, etc. Chair will entertain a motion. Mr. Chair, move to approve. Good, Bill. You're good. That's <laughs> our second. I'll second Thanks, that John. Again. All those in favor of approving the minutes of August 1st, please signify by saying yes. Yes. Opposed, say no. Motion carries. Um, comment before we get started. As I was reading the minutes, particularly those of, um, well, actually, both sets. I thought, Sarah, you really do a nice job, and it should be so noted. Thank you. Thank you. Golf club. Excuse me? Golf clap. Oh, <laughs> Next item on the agenda, Cheney Creek Tiny Homes. Yes. For the petitioner. Yes. Please start. Thank you guys for having us on the open. Thank you all. Michael Pacino, Micro Living LLC, and uh, Cheney Creek Tiny Homes. Um, thanks again for... The time to be on your agenda. Um, I've been putting this uh, project in more detail together over the past, over the, the spring since we met in April. And um, staff has been fantastic uh, working with, making sure I cross the T's, uh, dot the I's to get you the packet that you have in front of you this weekend. And uh, hopefully, you had a chance to go through it all. Uh, we feel that we um, feel real positive about the conditions that you guys put out. 
um, and the county commissioners um, added to and put out back in April. And um, it was one of those things that we just wanted to go through and, and just make sure we covered all the bases. Um, we wanted to make sure that the water was right, that the parking was right, uh, setbacks were right. And uh, I think those were some of the main issues that kept coming up in our discussion uh, last time we were here. What I didn't want to do today is go through and, and um, relive uh, all the reasons of tiny houses. I think that presentation at the con uh, conceptual PUD hearing uh, kind of helped us put in the framework of what we're trying to do and put in perspective of providing housing uh, for someone that wants to live in their own place that doesn't want to spend a three or four hundred thousand dollars for a home. And, and that's really the crux of what we're trying to create. And uh, Milner is one of those great little towns. Uh, it's in the city, it's got sewer, water, electric, and so uh, following all those conditions and putting it together, uh, coming up with that, that packet that you have, I think we have a really good looking project that I think would like, um, like your approval to move on to the next stage. Uh, what we have today is uh, Alan has put together um, some of the drawings that we've submitted that you have in the packet. Uh, from the civils. I've got with me uh, Walter McGill, who's the engineer with the project. So, if we have any questions regarding any additional setbacks or things like that, he's here to help out. And then uh, we have some uh, nice, pretty renderings uh, that we could pop up and kind of show you what the project uh, is looking like and where it's at. I don't have the clicker, but where do I? No, I don't. Um, so, that's, can you have a couple of those? I have those? Yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to kind of go through, um, if you go to the three-dimensional, I think it's going to be a little easier. So there we go. So what you're looking at here is um, kind of the revised version. You're, you're, you're looking from the alleyway over to Main Street. And uh, this is kind of the, the little bungalow court kind of design system that we have with the open space in the middle. Uh, that new building that's there is uh, the gazebo, and it's actually going to house the water uh, stored or the, the pump system. All the homes have to get it from the water well. The water's going to pump it up and get there. And it's also going to be able to have a community snowblower for the sidewalks so that everyone can have access to it. So you wanted to have a little bit of storage as part of the open space. Go ahead and uh, here you go. So there's a couple just renderings of what that looks like in the open space. Uh, the top drawing there is actually from the street, Main Street. So there's four parking spots that you see there. Uh, and what we've, you know, we dealt with a lot of issues with parking, and I think we're going to probably land on a few things. But overall, um, we've limited the occupants uh, to two adults for these things. Um, if you ever been camping in a trailer with someone for a long period of time, you don't want to stay there longer than maybe three or four weeks. You know, tiny homes are small homes, and uh, and they're not really designed for large. So one of the questions was. We wanted to be able to um, limit the parking, which would limit the adults and not have a big place. And that's one of the things we can do through um, deed restrictions on the covenants. And so we do have uh, one parking spot, and we still feel through the demographic that we work with that it's still a very marketable product um, in this location because we have uh, people that just, a lot of single people that just want their own place. And that's kind of where I've landed a lot on. Uh, I don't feel that it's going to be two people per unit, uh, and I guarantee that it won't be three, because we have that. And then we're going to address a little bit about that, hopefully, in the conversation with the fee and lieu. 
um, and then talks a little bit about the average Route County resident at 2.4, and we're already limiting ours down to two. So we're actually much lower through our covenants and the requirements of the conditions. Um, that that was one of the things we, we really couldn't add any additional parking. Uh, we did move uh, some storage of the snow around and uh, just make the place look a lot more appealing to the six different lot owners that are going to be here. Uh, other than that, um, you'll see these drawings are the updated ones that we've been using since uh, the summer. And uh, is there any more? Is that good? So that's kind of that's the two models. So we have two models, uh, just to kind of tell you guys. The one down here in the bottom right is uh, a little bit smaller. It's only 10 by 20. And the one on the left is actually 10 by 26. And as I've gone through the last uh, few weeks, of, or a few weeks, a few months of trying to get appraisals from bankers and everything else, trying to get this justified uh, from a financing standpoint, from a construction loan standpoint, from all the different financiers trying to get this out, it's just a new product. And people are just, they don't understand. And when you talk tiny houses, people think, gosh, I don't want to live in a loft, you know? And so when we had, even the appraiser was quite surprised. Uh, when I gave him the um, uh, explanation on this because we have a full 60 inch deep foundation, okay? And when you walk upstairs, the stairs go up to not a loft, but a whole second floor. So these are actually not like a little tiny loft second, you know. The reason why the appendix Q came out with these low heights and these tiny homes is because they anticipate them rolling down the, the road. We're not going to roll them down. We're building them stick-built on, on foundations, on site. So the uh, crawl space is now 60 inches, uh, where you put your Christmas decorations, where you put your kayak and your bike. Uh, access is going to be through a trap door uh, by the kitchen. And then, as you're seeing here, um, it's just a narrow stairway that goes up, catwalk that goes across from the bedroom to the closet area. And um, it's about the size of a Walton Village one bedroom and uh, with some additional storage down below. So we think we've really got a good product that's going to change a, a lot of how people look at what tiny houses are. And uh, we just want to get them off wheels and create a product that people can actually afford to live in this, this part of the country. So um, I'll just, if there's any questions, we'll ask them along the way. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I could wait for you, but I'll do it now. Mm -hmm. Could you go back to the um, the site plan, the very first one? <clears throat> no, the, the rendering, I'm sorry. Perfect. There was an indication that there was no storage over the cistern. Correct. Did that get fixed? No, did not. Okay. It's our understanding and our belief that if, um, and I, I talked this morning with Brian Adams, my architect, who can't be here right now, but uh, we really, we, we thought about that and we said, if there's a problem with the snow storage, uh, and, or excuse me, if the cistern needs maintenance, we're going to have to dig it up anyway. So it's really not an issue of having snow on top of the cistern because we're talking digging down to the ground and so it's going to have to be moved just like any construction would be. Okay. But thank you. Any other questions? Yes, Mr. Brown. Is, is the cistern, because the pump is in the gazebo, is the cistern area under the gazebo more or less? It's not under the gazebo in case we do have to access it. But the gazebo itself is a heated heated building that's required for us to have all the, main, the mechanics for the, the water system, delivery system. 
So in this rendering, mm -hmm. under what is the cistern and where is most of the snow storage? Good question. So you see the basketball hoop and you see that gazebo that has that door going in? Yeah. So between that little grass area that's between the door and uh, in front of that white car, that's, that's where the cistern's planning on going. And then that doorway is really where the heat pump is and the heated delivery system will be housed. Okay. And then finally, uh, so the stipulated number of parking places remains at eight. Mm -hmm. That's what it was for both our preliminary meeting and the Board of County Commissioners. Correct. And that's where it is. That is where it is. We remained at eight, um, mainly because when we limited the amount of adults, and we feel that we're going to be having one or maybe two occupants in here. And so uh, we really feel that eight is adequate. And if we move it to, we, we, we just, we had, the, we had a design that we were in the right of way with some parking, but when we put everything on our property, we ended up having to uh, move it. And the snow storage right now fits the uh, code the way it's written. And we feel that if we follow those co the covenants with deed restrictions on the parking, we shouldn't have a problem. And there's snow storage, you know, all on the left and the right on both sides, and they've done the calculations. We have adequate snow storage at this point. Yeah, I've got a question about mm -hmm. your limits on uh, number of occupants. Sure. These are not rentals, correct? Um, well, I mean, right now they're, we're planning on selling them all, but if, if we don't, then I have to rent them and put someone in them, yeah. Okay, but if, if a couple were to actually own one of these, mm -hmm. what happens if they become pregnant? Well, kids aren't considered adults, so we're limited to adults. That's what the covenants have. So if someone gets pregnant and has a child, I mean, the whole reason why, um, if you go to the, the catwalk that goes over to the, the store, the, the closet area, you know, there could be a crib there. I mean, it's a large space. So you have a closet on one side, they could put a crib that's on the adjacent to the bedroom. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping people have kids, and I'm thinking that they probably will. And so with that, you know, but once you get one or two kids, I have a lady um, who lives in a tiny home in Hayden, and, you know, two kids is hard. She can't imagine having three because it's just a small space. And so our hope is that as we go through the Yemp Valley housing, they did the, um, the uh, housing study where we're trying to create a move-up kind of product so people can get out of renting, move into something here, their family grows, they move out of this and buy a house and start growing it as it goes. Some people may not want to have kids. They can live there without kids the whole time. But good question. Thank you. Um, there was some discussion about having a community laundry. Is that in or out? No. What, so what happened was when I was talking to my uh, water, the water guys that were put in the cistern, the pump house, you know, he, he, he brought it up as a question. He's like, you know, we need a, a, a warm room for the, for the heat so it doesn't, you know, freeze. The water delivery system, the pumps and all that other stuff. And he says, if you make the room big enough, you can, you know, we put a washer dryer in that room. And so that gazebo is, you know, we that if there was ever going to be a washer dryer on the property, that would be a great community washer dryer. 
because we have access to it. They have access to it. My initial plan was to make it large enough that we can put a snowblower in there so people can actually have a community snowblower. They're responsible for that, but at least now we have one. But as far as trying to get um, laundry facilities in each individual unit, they're just not that big. But I do understand that it's one of those things as laundry, um, people don't have a laundromat nearby. And so that gazebo could be that. As the developer, we have not planned to put a washer dryer in there, uh, but we did talk about it plumbing it. So the association could chime if they wanted to put one in. But that was that was where the only washer dryer came in the conversation. Okay. Um, so Roden Bridge wrote a comment saying um, about the cistern, and so I believe your reasoning behind why it's staying is fine. But then they also wanted you to address the elimination, uh, or uh, please address the concern for elimination of the infiltration of snowmelt um, within the cistern. So from my understanding is if the snow, dirty snow gets put into there, then that could seep into the water and the water quality could be uh, com compromised uh, in that nature. Is there anything that? Well, in I didn't address directly address that, but there's a lot of ground covers and clays that you can put underneath the soils that will keep it from an impervial, you know, there's impervious service to go through. Uh, most of the time when you do have snow storage onto ground, when you're trying to limit the water seeping down, is you actually put clay instead of like, but there's rubber and plastic and things you can put underneath that. Um, we hadn't designed a system with that exactly uh, for their concern. We don't believe it's a big issue because we don't have a lot of particulates. Like if you have a big, huge parking lot that had oils from cars and dripping down and you're pushing that particulates on there, any different than you would have in the normal alleyway that's already got the road and gravel um, base. So we're hoping that that's not an issue. Um, I haven't addressed it. I don't know, Walter, do you want to say anything there? Uh, no. <coughs> that's to the snow storage. So sort of the cistern having a impervious area. Yeah, you know, the cistern is going to be a self-contained unit. So the pressure from any kind of substance above it and ground above it, I don't think is going to impact the cistern and its integrity. So it should be solid that way. We're not driving on top of it, so there's not a lot of heavy loading. It's just natural loading. So we're not concerned about it that way. Fixing the piping will come out of the side of it, so that should be protected as well. Low gravels around the top, so then top soil above that. Mr. McGill, is there actually a seal between the lid? At least the ones I'm familiar with. I believe this will have risers and a seal on it, yeah. Seal. A seal. Right. Yeah, I'd have to look at the final product. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that some of the tops come off and some are just one unit. Right, right. Bill, did you have a question? Sorry, asked. Ah, okay. Uh, Alan? Okay. Uh, so this application is for final PUD and preliminary and final subdivision. So because of that, there will be two motions that are needed. It has already been determined that this project is in compliance with the master plan, so the review in the staff report was limited to compliance with the zoning and subdivision regulations. 
and so I'm just going to go over the details of the proposal. Uh, the parcel contains four of the original town of Milner lots, which totals 12,500 square feet. And if developed under current conditions, four homes could be built. At the first hearing, it was stated that based on the zoning, only two residences could be placed on this parcel. But through a separate matter, staff did some additional research on the original town of Milner and Pittsburgh lots and came to the conclusion that since those lots were platted prior to the county adopting zoning in 1972, each one of them is buildable. So in this scenario, a residence could be put on each one of the four lots, resulting in four homes on this parcel. Uh, because of the size of the size of the lots, variances, property line setback variances would have to be obtained because based on setbacks in, in the medium density residential zone district, the building envelope would be five feet wide. So variances would have to be obtained to encroach into the setbacks. So this is, as Mr. Buccino said, six lots with tiny homes on them, each having a footprint between 200 and 260 square feet. With a 25-foot height restriction, access will be from Main Street and the undeveloped alley. Sewer services are provided by the county's central wastewater system and water would be provided by the central system that Mr. Buccino would install. The required open space is in the center of the lots and complies with the 25% requirement. Since this is a PUD, the zoning of the parcel would have to change to PUD also. Uh, the zone change standards were evaluated at this stage due to a change in the PUD regulations to help streamline the PUD process. And so if this application is approved, there is a finding of fact acknowledging and approving the zone change. Uh, the water analysis that was submitted states that uh, six times the water usage of these six tiny homes would be equivalent to two regular size homes. The applicant submitted a request to have the fee in lieu waived, but at the same time, he also provided a calculation on his opinion of what the maximum fee that the county could charge, and this is in relation to dedication of land for schools, parks, and public sites. So that number that he determined could be the maximum is $3,005.34. So there were several items that were required to be included in the covenants based on the conditions of approval from the board. Those are listed on the screen and they have all been addressed in the covenants. The parking there, as Mr. Pacino says, there are eight parking spaces shown. Each lot is allocated one parking space, one parking space, which leaves two additional parking spaces left for guests or whoever. UTVs and snowmobiles are allowed to be parked on site, and 
then one of the submitted documents says that the alley will go all the way to US, Heidi, US Highway 40. This is not the case. CDOT has stated that they will not allow the additional access from this alley onto Highway 40. So the alley access lots or that parking area would have to go south back to 3rd Street and around to Main Street to get onto the highway. <coughs> As far as snow storage goes, the county does not have a standard for determining if an adequate amount of storage space has been provided. However, the city does, and so staff looked at that standard and to determine if, if the snow storage identified would comply with that standard just as a basis of comparison since the county does not have those standards and staff determined that it does comply with the city standards. Uh, the civil drawings show the utility locations and easements and looking at those documents it appears that additional easements would be required to provide all of the six lots with the water, sewer, electric, telecommunications lines that would serve these lots. And there were two letters uh, that were submitted with this application. Both of them were in opposition to this application. And again, those were included in the staff packet. And then we have the issues for discussion that are on the screen. They're contained in the, in the staff packet on the bottom of page three, and I'm not gonna read all of them. We'll let everybody read those during public comment, and then we would like Planning Commission to address them. No problem. Um, there was a comment in here about the distance between the houses. And there was a recommendation, but I don't think I ever saw the distance between three. Is it located? Say that again. I don't think I ever saw a number that shows the actual distance between the units. Uh, there were not distances between the units. It was just distances to the property lines that separate the units. Did I misread that? <clears throat> The building department had mentioned something in dialogue that I've had with them regarding the distances from the property line to the actual structure, and the minimum is five feet. That's the so number from I these, yeah, from the new property line, they went five feet. We kind of made sure that there's six, and we had five foot setbacks in the back of the lot, and moved that to eight for any snow storage. But the uh, the structures themselves are located as, uh, on these drawings are within the um, parameter with working with Todd Carr at the building department saying, hey, you know, let's, if it's five feet setback, we put it at six and a half, Good. just so we had an extra foot. But I don't I don't think it's written anywhere. It's, it's in scale, but. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. Any other questions for Alan right now? Yeah, I, Alan? Will yeah. You, when you say they can park snowmobiles and ATVs, where would those be parked? I, I would assume in one of the parking spaces. I just, the covenants say that they those are allowed to be parked outside. If someone doesn't own a car, but they own an <coughs> ATV, they still have rights to that parking spot. 
So um, we didn't feel like but, we could but limit. But if they have a car and a snowmobile, can they park it between the units on the grass there in the wintertime or summer? Uh, it doesn't say. That's a good question. I mean, and I guess the other question would be if you're looking at what happens with um, mobile home parks, people quickly run out of storage and not only start seeing the snowmobiles parked all around the units, but then the next thing that happens is everybody buys one or two metal sheds. Would that be allowed? Uh, so a PUD zoning in the PUD plan is specific to what is identified on the PUD plan. So if it's not on the PUD plan, it's not allowed. So they could not add a... Unless they amended the PUD plan to include those. Okay. And Mr. Blunt, um, it also says on in, in the covenants, no motorized vehicles of uh, recreational nature such as snowmobiles, three-wheelers, quad runners are allowed to be operated within the CIC. That's the open space in the property. However, parking of such recreational vehicles is allowed. So we don't anticipate people driving them onto the property. It's the parking spot. And that's what the covenants are written as. But, but if they wanted to wheel their snowmobile on the trail or in between the units, there's nothing that right now that says they can't do that. Specifically correct. Okay. Alan, uh, how does the governance work? Excuse me? What's, how's the governance? Is there a board? Is there a homeowners association board? Is there something? Someone needs to be in charge of this association? So, based on my limited knowledge of how these kinds of things work, HOAs are required to have boards and meet regularly and prepare a budget and record minutes and submit that stuff to the Secretary of State. Uh, I think they have proposed that an HOA is formed to, to govern all of that. Yeah, it's in actually Article 3 of the Covenants talks specifically about the association and um, a lot of decisions with the executive board of that HOA. So um, there are some latitudes that the homeowners, the lot owners actually have, and that's really controlled by the, um, uh, the HOA board. But we are planning absolutely to have a HOA board yeah. to govern this way out past we're dead. <laughs> Is there can hold on a minute before I ask? Okay, at what point the, the covenants get recorded along with? Do they not? Correct. Okay. And that is I'm looking for that. That's that is a condition of approval. I thought so, but when I was We felt it completely necessary to put together with our attorney the proper covenants for this type of development for use down the road as well. And so this was our making sure we have all the, T, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. So, Steve, it's uh, condition number four on page 18. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Huh? This wasn't capitalized, so you didn't catch it. <coughs> okay. 
Commissioners, any other questions before I open it up to the public for now? Okay. Um, I'd like to open it up to the public for comments. Again, please use the lectern. And then if you would, please state your name for the record. Sure. I'm a little nervous, so for... Okay. That's okay. <laughs> so I have to write it and highlight and all that stuff. No problem. My name is Sheila Weekly, and being adjacent to this proposed development, I'm heavily vested in whether this moves forward or not. Um, myself and my neighbors love the uniqueness of Milner and have chosen this as our home. We are the ones that have to live with your decision. We are concerned about all of the many variances, waivers, discounts, and concessions the developer has asked for when rules that are in place have been carefully vetted and were put in place to protect the residents of individual community, of each individual community. In my discussions with my neighbors, we all find it very hard to, find, to understand why putting six homes in one location that if you look at Milner would normally have two. We all wonder, is this proposed development a good fit for Milner? None of my neighbors that I have talked to, especially those adjacent to the property proposed development, think it is a good fit. And if approved, sets a horrible precedent for our community. I have to rely on you to do what is in the best interest for the county, Milner, and myself, and trust that you will. My greatest concern is the feeling I get when I look at all the documents produced to date and that the county is giving preferential treatment to this developer. There are four lots in this development of which the planning department has now made the determination that four homes could be built on the lots. Take a look at the current configuration of Milner and count how many homes are built on one 25 by 125 foot lot. In the best case for the developer, there could be four homes on these lots, not six. The density of this development is too, too many. Why do I come to this conclusion? It is because of the multiple variation requests and the concerns that have been expressed during this process. Serious concerns such as water quality, overflow, parking, especially during the winter months, increased traffic, alley usage, and the precedent being set for, for future development of similar type developments scattered throughout our little community. When you consider everything that this developer is asking for concessions on, it is hard to understand why the proposed development of six homes is what is best for the community of Milner and should be considered for approval when it not <coughs> could not be approved by following the current heavily vetted rules and regulations currently in place. Variances requested by the developer include, and if I'm wrong in any of them, please excuse me, the fee and lieu be waived. The applicant is asking for the sewer taffies to be discounted when according to the Milner Sanitation System rules and regulations, it appears that they are not being correctly charged and the fact that there is still an $85,000 interfund loan against the system. This applicant is asking for parking variance, for setback variances, a variance on the building lot size. This applicant is asking to have the standard requiring gutters and street and road signs be waived. The, the deci this decision has consequences, not just for Route County, but especially for Milner and its residents, 
especially those adjacent to their property in, in question. Four homes feels like the maximum that should be considered for this development and feels like it would be it would it would raise the quality of the living of the future residents without sacrificing the quality of living of the current residents of Milner. At the end of the day, Mr. Simmons and Mr. Buccino don't live in Milner. They get to go home and don't have to live next to six tiny homes squashed into a space where two homes could normally go. However, if this development is approved as considered today, the residents of Milner have to live with the consequences of a high-density development in a community that is not, is not supposed to happen. The voice of the residents of Milner need to be heard by the decision makers. As one of the residents closest to the proposed development, I ask you to consider a compromise of four tiny homes or develop the lots as intended with two family homes the way the rest of the neighborhood was designed. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Next, please. Steve, Next can week? I make one comment, yes. please? Um, so Ms. Weekly mentioned the reduction in TAP fee request. Uh, that is a decision that the Board of County Commissioners alone will make, so Planning Commission is not going to discuss that. And if the public could refrain from making comments on the tap fee reduction request, we would appreciate it. You can save those for the Board of County Commissioners hearing. Is that not also true to a limited extent for the fee in lieu? Uh, no, that's contained within the subdivision regulation, so it's within the purview of Planning Commission. Uh, next, please. <coughs> I live right next to Sheila. My name is Laura Case. So in the next lot there. That one where the kind of east, west, north, and south. Uh, right there. Yeah. You got it. Where so I, I think a tiny home with the really great there. I think I'm going to put one there. My next neighbor to down one, he's got a lot there. He thinks he can put maybe three there. Um, over here, I think we can put three. And over here, three or four. Um, do you see where I'm going with this? Not really. Where, where does it end? <laughs> Not really. Well, water is a finite resource. And I, I think that the way the lots are aligned is single, we have one home per lot, and now we're going to switch all these in. I mean, that's literally in my backyard. And all the concessions that that are being given to this developer. I wonder, all these promises that are that he's making that, oh, you know, the snowmobiles won't be here, they won't be there, blah, 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 and it'll be great. But as Sheila said, he's not going to live there, and there'll be an HOA to to determine and police this. But all, he's already asking for concessions, and he's being given them. So I don't think that anything is going to change once the development's built. If there's no storage in the wrong place or stuff and everybody's tool, you know, little toys are everywhere, oh well. And parking, oh well. If my water if my water runs dry, I don't have a truck to bring water in. I don't I don't have the means to do that. So I think, you know, that's a consideration. This this well that was dug here at two one six one oh those houses up at 389985 went dry. I'm, I'm right next to this proposed development, and you're asking for six six homes 
with the main water draw is the kitchen and the first bathroom and any house. So single family home, that would be a kitchen and the first bathroom. But you're multiplying that by six. So you have six kitchens and six first bathrooms. I don't think that's equivalent to single family homes. So I hope you take this into consideration. When we went before the county commissioners, um, you know, we have 42 out of 46, you know, homeowners opposing us, and their response was, change happens, get over it. We have valid concerns, and, and I don't feel like the commissioners addressed it at all. And one of them even said that she had never really researched, researched the issue, but she'll vote for it. And then another guy said, hey, if this works out, I'm landing the answer for it. I think he should be recused because that's a huge conflict of interest. So it looks like you guys have done a lot of due diligence, and I, I respect that and appreciate that, and I hope that you guys listen to the community of Milner instead of other forces driving. Thank you. Uh, next question. Uh, my name is Colby Ginter. I live at 3920 at the corner of Main and 3rd. My biggest concern is the health and uh, just the public using the alley that I currently live at with snow storage being pushed into my driveway that I use to get into my garage and my house. And just uh, overall traffic and whatever else is going to be back there is my huge concern. Thank you. Before you sit down, could you exactly point where you're at? Where was the downside? So my, my garage sits at faces to the east, so I pretty much use the alley. And in order to get my truck, I have a full-size truck, I can't pull my garage. <coughs> the alley is being used by this tiny home. I can't get my, my truck or anything in the garage. So. Yeah, that alley is public, though, isn't it? That alley is public. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, sir. Just concerning the snow storage, I don't know how they're going to push snow towards 40 or away. It's going to be pushed right onto my drive, but I don't have to deal with it the whole time. So. Uh, next, please. My name is Christian Osbach. I live right next to Colby, right there. So, my concern is the same thing as Colby said. Um, so, he pushed his snow forward into my backyard in the alley. They were at least eight to 10 foot high snow drifts all the way along my fence line. So this was just <coughs> past year from that little, that little bit of alleyway. Where's the rest of it gonna go? Are they gonna push it out into the main street? Um, I don't know. Um, and then also he's talking about um, having a snowblower in his back back area there. Where all that snow's going to go? I mean, so if you go forward with that dot, that little white area in front of my house is my driveway. I have eight to ten foot um, burns where my snowblower pushes it up, and it, it's a three-stage, very high-power, horsepower snowblower, and it can barely get enough over that. So his um, proposal for the backyard there, where he's going to have all that snow pushed up, I don't know where the snow's going to go. And when he starts putting four lots in there, or four parking spots, I don't know where that snow's going to go. 
Um, everybody knows um, if it's a couple, there's six houses, that's 12 cars. There's eight spots. Where are those other four cars going? Sorry if I'm asking, but uh, where's those other cars going? Snowmobiles, ATVs, UTVs, where are those going to go? Are they going to push them down the alley? If they're going to use the alley, I'm going to put my stuff down the alley as well. Um, I have a right to use it just as much as they do. I do use that alley. I have used it in the past to store my snowmobiles back there. Everybody in Milner has an alleyway, um, and just about everybody has something stored back there. And I believe the what I've been told is if you maintain that alley, you can use it for your personal use. Um, that use is getting taken away from me. And you can see the size of my lot. Um, and I have one house. I've got um, me, my wife, and my son. And I, I do have some toys, but um, I have a hard time placing my stuff. And I don't like leaving it out front, but I have, I have no place to put it now. I can't put it out back because that alleyway is being taken away from me. Um, which is fine. It's, it's legal. You know, I, I wish him the best. Uh, but I think six is way too much. Um, my personal opinion. Uh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Next, please. Anyone else? Hearing none, I'm going to close the public comment portion of uh, the evening. Commissioners, questions for staff? Yeah, Josh. I'd like Alan and maybe Chad as well to comment on so-called public use of alleys, the duty to maintain alleys, or just some of the comments you've either read in this petition or heard this evening. So storage or parking or any type of use like that in a public right-of-way is prohibited. It's for, it's for, it's a traveling service. It's not for storage and... Uh, Including snow. I mean, they, snow can be can be stored in in a public right of way. That's what uh, that's where most of the snow storage along county roads occurs is in the in the public right of way. So snow storage is allowed. Um, storage of other equipment it's just has not ever been used. It's never been a problem, so it's never been raised as an issue to the county for that would result in an enforcement action. But I think on a point of clarification, I don't think it's permissible to use the alley for snow storage to the point that the alley is no longer passable. Uh, correct. Okay. But if it's not passable, they wouldn't be able to access their their property. But so I was listening to John's question. It should also be noted that the county does not maintain. The, alley. the alleys, right. so they're not plowed by um, by the county, and usually they are done 
uh, by the residents that live there if they want to access their property. A lot right. of people use it for rear access or their driveway access. Did that answer your question? Yes. And then Christy helped me refresh my memory. There was there were comments made um, by the Division of Water concerning the well. Am I dreaming this? No, I'm not. Uh, no, they stated that it is currently in a non-over-appropriated basin. So right. they could get a well permit for it, but if the basin does go over-appropriated and there's a call on the river without an augmentation plan in place, this well could get shut off. Right. But were there any comments about um, adverse impact on surrounding wells? There, there was not. I didn't think so. It's kind of a you really don't know thing. Uh, the applicant did hire an engineer to look at look at the water use, and there was a a letter submitted from I think it was CDC to address that. Right. Civil design consultants. Okay. My, my question exactly is oh. it went into a fine line there. <laughs> so the only authority we have is augmentation if we do run out of water. Uh, and that's going to be for that whole aquifer that's underneath that all the wells go to. At what point do we start looking at shutting down this well if the others are affected? I, there wasn't any. I wonder if the Association of Counties are responsible for overuse on one property. If it's if we open this up, it's going to. That was our original question in the last hearing: is uh, does this affect the other homeowners? And CDC didn't really answer that. They said that should use close to what four houses would normally use. Uh, well, actually, I think they went farther. Did they? Well, I think that, yeah, I think they actually said that the usage of the six tiny units would be equivalent to two single family residences, not four, two. Not thinking right. Okay. So there you go. Excuse me? Was that based on the study? Yeah, it's done on, it was pretty comprehensive, actually. They went through. Um, some of the stuff I'm going to do from memory, but it kind of goes this way. The national standards are 80 gallons per day per capita. Average one person use is 80 gallons a day. And they, so they did, so obviously, if you match that two, per, two persons per tiny home, and then reduce it the consumption for the fact that there's no washer dryer. No dishwasher, no bathtub, no bath shower only. Was there something else going on in this too, if I remember right? But the point is, yeah, they kind of went through it. 
And everything everything was water saving high efficiency units. So yeah, once they had adjusted the eight gallons per capita down to reflect the lack of water consumption appliances for lack of a better term, and multiplied it times twelve, and then equated that to two families, single family units, came out the same. It's in there now. I mean there was a range six hundred gallons per day to if I remember right. 660, sorry. 1140. I have a pretty good memory to begin with. Pretty good. Thank you. Yes, John? Uh, should this community decide to add the <coughs> excuse me, communal laundry facility, would this be addressed to the planning commission for an administrative decision? Uh... We would have to make the determination whether it is in compliance with or substantially similar to the uh, conceptual PUD approval, and then there are standards that would that determine whether it is eligible for an administrative amendment. But if there was an application to add laundry facilities based on the concern with water use and the discussion that has taken place, uh, we'd have to seriously, staff would seriously look at going through the administrative process. And would that be preceded by some notification? Of course, yes. Okay, public notification. Yes. Uh, the time for public comment is really over. But go ahead if you have a question. I'd just like to remind you that they are going to plumb that <coughs> with plumbing to add a future washer dryer. So that decision or discussion might need to take place sooner than when the application is applied because it's going to apply to this application now. The plumbing will be installed. They but that doesn't mean the fixes are in. So that. That is, that is not proposed. Understood. One other question about the well on the, um, one of the consultant reports here it says that applicants should note that the well permitting statutes require that a non-exempt well must be located more than 600 feet from another production well. Uh, I did not look to see what the vicinity of the other other wells are. This strikes me from looking at the map that 600 feet is a long ways when you look at the size of that. But again, that's really out of our purview, is it not? I think that's in the... This is not the well permitting body. That's on page 29. But it does have a caveat unless the state engineer finds after a hearing that circumstances warrant the issuance of a well permit. So yep. it sounds like there is some flexibility to, this, to that 600 feet requirement.
Unless there's other questions for staff, I'd like to kind of go to the issues for discussion. I got one more. That's okay. With basketball hoop, is that uh, active recreation? Is that why that's getting put in there? It's not to try and put in more space using the parking space as open space as well as the, for the total? It's the the common space in the center meets the 25% requirement okay. for the for the PUD. Uh, the basketball hoop just is in addition to that. Okay. One, one. Oh, sure. That's one. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, staff mentioned the $3,005.34 fee for the in lieu fee. Does staff have an opinion about the adequacy of that amount? Uh, so. Currently, we don't have a formula to determine what the fee in lieu would be. So the applicant did provide calculations and numbers that appear to line up with how staff has evaluated them in the past. Okay. Thank you. Or to put words in staff's mouth, it's not an unreasonable calculation. Uh, correct. Okay. So, first question, with restrictions that the county had required to be placed in covenants, how does the county ensure that those restrictions are enforced? Um, my sense is this HOA is no different than any other HOA, and the county will continue to operate on its complaint-based uh, actions. Is I guess the, the crux of that is, is if the county decides that with these restrictions in place that this development is then okay, appropriate to be approved. The plat gets recorded, subdividing the land. The PUD plan gets recorded. And then the covenants are outside of counties, the county's enforcement mechanism. If the HOA is not enforcing the covenants, the county can't unrecord the plat, re reconfigure it back to where it was. Right. Can't unrecord the PUD plan. So it we're left in this kind of this gray area as to how do we ensure that it gets enforced. But let's think about that just openly for a time being. Um, <coughs> let's think of an example where the covenants restrict an action and the HOA is not enforcing that restriction. Is that possible then that could be a violation of a condition? You see what I'm asking? Yes. yes. It, it would be a violation of the condition of approval. So then, kind of come full circle. That's what I'm saying. Huh? I think we've kind of come full circle. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Right, so we would oppose the HOA with a violation of condition of approval. Um, See where it goes from there. There you know. Okay. I mean, that, that's a concern for me. I, I was in a very small HOA where some of the um, lot owners basically just thumbed their noses at the covenants. And the choices we faced were um, basically to fund legal proceedings to take those people to court. It's true. And you're going to have. Five, five people in tiny houses that are going to um, 
fund a lawsuit to make one of the people in the tiny houses do something? I don't think so. I, my experience has been with the HOAs is you find them and that you find them on a daily basis. Who finds them? The HOA. Typically in those covenants, the board of directors has the, has the ability and the right to initiate fines against the HOA owners. So if they try and sell or anything, that's Precisely. the that's only you that they're going to get. Right. They can lean as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're not likely to do it, but they have the ability to do it. Yeah, I think it's... I don't view this set of covenants, although I'd like to see them at some point, I don't view this set of covenants, whether it's six or whether it's 600, the principles and the concept are the same. And it's, yes, it does get to be a function of how aggressive that board of directors wishes to be. But the and is, is the violator one of the board, members of the board of directors? <laughs> <laughs> the interesting one. Mm -hmm. Uh, so one more time on that question. Are there, you proposing some alternative that I'm not hearing about? Or are you just pointing it out? Pointing it out and look, asking for... Yeah, I think the answer is the first first line of defense or offense would be the HOA. And then the second line would be complaints initiated to the county directly. Am I getting a consensus on that? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, no. Legally, I think you're correct. I know. I <laughs> it's the practical side. Practically. Yeah, right. Maybe not. I don't know. That uh, for almost all complaints then, too, right? Exactly. <laughs> Water usage analysis sufficient to show the water is available for development and not have a negative effect on surrounding wells. I guess my sense is there that's an area that's kind of out of the purview of this group. It's really up to the well, water well people. If, if Division 6, it is 6, I think, issues a permit. Well, the same question would exist if this yeah. hadn't come up and you put two single family homes in. Or four, exactly. Then you'd have two wells. Right. And sure. what would be the effect on neighboring wells? Or technically four wells. Because it's been upgraded to four units. It would most likely be a shared well. I would think so. Just because uh, due to the proximity of all the existing wells. And there are numerous wells in the area that are shared by multiple multiple residences. Number three. Well, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, number two. Yeah. As as you noted, we're not asked to decide on well permits. There's an agency for that. Uh, we did note the thing about the six hundred feet feet proximity to neighboring wells. Um, I was surprised no one in the audience had any information having to do with the feet from an, from this proposed well. 
and I probably shouldn't have to point out to them that there was one negative vote from the Board of County Commissioners in March, specifically because of snow storage and uh, sufficiency of water. But if that isn't under our purview, then that's the way it is. I think to, to be a little more clear on that water issue from the BCC, the recommendation was to have it studied, which in fact was done. Well, they'll have a meeting to they consider will. whether that was adequate. And then, you know, the comment I think is also appropriate. The 600-foot limitation, which we've also decided there is an out on it or not, or there's an opportunity to, how do I say this, work through that. There's um, a hearing. I would, I guess I just look at Milner as a subdivision, and there has to be any number of wells within that 600-foot radius. It would already it would appear that all of the wells are within now, 600 feet of. I didn't have a scale, so I couldn't quite go through that. But yeah. Let's go to number three, fee in lieu of. Um, can you walk us through the math, Alan? That. The developer did. Say that again. Could you walk us through the math that the developer did, or have the developer walk us through the math in the manner in which he arose arrived at the um, B and Lou? Yeah, I don't. Alan, do you have that up there, or is it in the packet? It, it is in the packet, but I can find it and get it up. Okay. And, and just in a, um, and we'll get we'll get going on that. Um, basically, when I was going through the fee and lieu, it was for the infrastructure of the land and basically roads. If you were going to build a subdivision and you had, you know, like Sunlight or, you know, something like Steamboat 2, you would go through the whole process of putting in the streets, the gutters or streets or infrastructure, water, electric, sewer, all that kind of stuff, and you would come up with a price of what that would be without any developable buildings on it. Okay, so in the subdivision regulations, it says that that five percent of that fee is what's required for schools, public services, and things like that. Now, if you're talking a subdivision the size of Steamboat Two or Sunlight, absolutely that makes a lot of sense because this fee in lieu is specifically saying we need to have some money for the increase of people that are going to live there. Okay, and so my argument in the first part of this was say, hey, we have the same amount of people. If I have two single-family homes, I could have actually more people than 12. You know, two single-family homes could have two large families and be a lot more people there, and they would be no fee and live. That being said, that was why I was asking for this to be waived. It's just a small subdivision. It's not sunlight. It's not a big project. Okay, that being stated... I felt that it was necessary for Alan to at least say, hey, if that's the case, here's the calculation. We purchased the lot. We've got to tear down the structure. We've got to do some infrastructure uh, fees there. This includes um, the sewer tap fees, um, and I did assume the reduction in that, so that would go up a tad bit. Divided by six lots gives us this price of 37000 cost of the two adding two dwelling lots. So we come up with this 3,756, which is the 5% of that fee. Additionally, when we go back down to the second part of this, according to the Department of Local Affairs, the median size for Route County is 2.4. However, we can't even have 2.4 people, adults, living in the property. 
So it's reasonable to ask for another 20% reduction in the fee in lieu because we can't even have 2.4 on our lots. So that's where we came up with the maximum lot of 37.56. Less 20% gives us 3,534. And so that's how we kind of came with the, if, if we were going to be asked, you know, if you were doing a subdivision like Sunlight or Overlook, that number would probably be in the hundreds of thousands because they're a much bigger parcel and it's a much bigger land. And, it's, and, and that money would be beneficial to a school or the fire protection or whatever what it would be. In this example, it's $3,005.34 because it's, it's a third of an acre. It's not that there's a lot of land, and the infrastructure that we're doing is not as grand as putting in like you would in a subdivision. That's how we came up with the, the calculation. Does that make sense? Yeah, to me it is. And we tried to offer, I mean, I really would like you to waive it, um, humbly ask you that. Because it's not a big project, um, and but you know, in the case that the subdivision requirements requires us to have a fee in lieu, but it's up to the VCC that they have the, the ability to waive it. And so, with that, we decided to ask for that humbly waive it. Now, if we're doing a big subdivision, I would never ask for that. That would be ridiculous. But this is a small parcel. We're just fitting into the PUD and the subdivision requirements. It's kind of new. Yeah, after we went through a similar exercise on that Fox Grove subdivision, staff had come up with you know, our, our own study, our own way of measuring those numbers. And, and what we had done is reached out to, you know, as mentioned in the statutes, the land would be for parks or schools. So I contacted City of Steamboat Springs, uh, Facilities Director for the School District, RE2, RE excuse me, and asked the question, what amount of land do you need per population? I got a ratio out of them, and actually, uh, the cities for parks ended up with Dola's numbers as well. So we had, we came up with something, you know, pretty solid a formula for this. And you know, when I looked at Michael's numbers, did I want to start that all over again? You know, because this is actually RE one instead of RE two. But once you take out that there could be four homes as a use by right, and then so now you're at two sixth, if you will, one third of the um, of the value or, or of the total of that formula. Excuse right. me, that the numbers probably wouldn't be a whole lot different. Okay. So we just left Michael's numbers. I think it's in the ball. So the, the, the decision before the commissioners eventually will get to the point. Um, do you want to consider waiving the fee, period? Or do you, are you interested in recommending um, or accepting, or yeah, recommending the amount that the petition provided? We're not there yet, but that's in the back of it. And before that's answered, Steve, if I could just chip in also that, you know, the way a community works is everybody chips in on schools and parks, you know, whether it's a senior center or not, you right. know, whether there are kids there or not, everybody pays their pressure. So even though, I mean, this number is pretty small, I think that's personally appropriate for mm -hmm. their fair share of parks and schools. 
Can you put the questions back up now? Yeah. Number five, are there any concerns with the amount of space provided? What happened to number four? Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, did, did I just give an answer to number three? I didn't do that purpose. Uh, sorry? Did you, was an answer to number three provided? Well, I'll take a consensus now. I mean, again, the choices are the petitioners ask that the fee will be waived completely. Oh, the alternative is the petitioner is offered up um, a compromise position using his own using the math that we've just seen in terms of a fee. And so, my question to the commissioners would be: Is do you uh, have a feeling one way or the other? I mean, take you. So, Bill, I'll start with you. Oh, okay. Well, what did I you say, Bill? I, yeah. <laughs> I do not want to waive, and I, my question to that one is condition number 23 says Ian Lewis. Is that the same as what the petition? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, That's good by you. John? Uh, also, I don't want to waive it. I'd accept what's listed in general condition 23. Peter? Same, not waive it, accept it. Same. Yeah, don't think that there's a compelling reason. I can think of a lot of small subdivisions. Okay. So there's your answer, Elon. Thank you. Now to number four. Do the covenants adequately address parking and associated restrictions? Well, I think based on your answer to my question, I, I would be concerned that if, pe if people are going to have toys, whether they're snowmobiles or ATVs or whatever, and they're not going to have a snowmobile on a trailer without a vehicle to pull it. So I think unless your covenants specifically address it, you're going to find that the snowmobiles and the other toys are going to be parked between the units on the grass. That's, that's okay, that's fine, but um, that, that's what's going to happen. They're not going to be sitting in the parking spot. And I, and I understand. I just, I don't own one. And so I don't have toys like that, and it's not a motivator. But, but I think if you just just um, <laughs> visit the mobile home parks, and what you will see is because they are also tiny houses in a lot of cases, the, the space between all of the mobile homes are filled up with toys and storage sheds and multiple vehicles. So, so that's what's going to happen. I mean, I love your, you know, your 3D drawing there is, is very classy, but it doesn't have a lot of junk parked in between the um, units. And that, that is what it's going to look like in a few years, unless you put that in the covenants. You could, Peter, you could require that that be put in the covenants. It's not uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm familiar with covenants that basically said there will be no parking of outside vehicles on the property in subdivisions. Within the HOA. Yeah. Within the HOA. You can't park. Well, you know, within um, the And lots. I've seen it also. Within the lots. Within the lots. Yeah. I've also seen them that parking of RVs and or boats is allowed for up to 30 days. There's a time limit. 
the parking where on the the grass be, between the units. So that's kind of hard thinking. That's just reason to think of you. Because I think you're going to have to think about boats and motorcycles. Oh, yeah. And yeah. In, in my HOA, um, or in the covenants of our subdivision up here in town, um, there is a requirement for any kind of RV or storage and things like that must be screened. You can't see it from the neighbors. The neighbors can't see it. Now, we don't have a problem in our neighborhood because we don't have RVs stored there year-round or canoes or bikes or... No one has that, so it's not ever been something enforceable. But you bring up a very, very, very valid point, and I think we can add something into the covenants towards screening or just limiting any kind of. Uh, I mean, it already says in there that you can't vehicle maintenance or repairs in the property is strictly forbidden, and um, I mean, so there's definitely some limitations that are already in there. But if you want to make it a little stronger, uh, propose something that'd be great. If I could make a comment on that also, you know, when the tiny home idea a couple of years ago, you know, started to gain some, you know, momentum and, and their interest in the community, you know, so staff, you know, we did a lot of research on this, you know, what is this tiny home thing? And it really seems like that the people that live in these tiny homes are really bought into a minimalist lifestyle, and it really isn't just a different sort of mobile home park. You know, right. that, that these things are small and you have to be comfortable with living in something that's, that's that tight, you know. And if you move from a house or from an apartment to one of these things, you have to be okay with downsizing. So I think if you added some restrictions as far as the toys, you probably wouldn't impact the people who would be interested in, you know, long-term occupancy from purchasing one of these tiny homes. You know, I guess there's always that alternative that you have too many toys, they can get a mini storage unit, but that kind of seems counterintuitive to wanting to live in a tiny home in the first place. But but I think any of those restrictions for outdoor storage would be appropriate. Michael, I don't know if you have comments along that, you know, because you've done the research too, but there really seems to be that minimalist, you know, idea to want to live in a tiny home. Yeah, the demographic of tiny homes is, um, is is quite different than a trailer park. In fact, one of the biggest challenges I have working on um, some other projects in Hayden and, and other areas that taking old mobile home parks and trying to convert them to a tiny house for dwellers. The dwellers don't want to live in a trailer. They want a little bungalow court with maybe a tough shed in the back for their little bit of storage. Um, and these are the people that live in them on wheels. You know, they, they don't even have a basement full of storage right. that we're offering. And so with that demographic, they, they you know, because I've talked to the housing authority about putting tiny homes here in Fish Creek. The problem is they're small. And the people that want to live in a tiny home don't want to live in a trailer park. And there's this weird thing. They, they're okay with living, you know, in a, a small community. They just don't want to live in a trailer park. And so that's why it looks as pleasant, Mr. Flint, as it does, is because I've been trying to show the communities and show this that this is the different demographic of people that are downsizing that don't want all the necessary toys. So, so you'll guarantee that there will be nobody in your tiny home thing that once they get tired of being crowded out says, hey, I need a boat so I can get out of here. <laughs> It, you know, I have no problem adding that into the covenants because that's not the demographic we're going toward, and there's not. It's a. He's absolutely right. It's a minimalist type mentality, 
And um, this is not, I mean, if I, I would like to well, keep it Well, then I think it would be to your advantage to add it because if every, pretty much the majority of people are minimalist, the one guy that shows up with snowmobiles and boats is not going to make, uh, make them happy. Right. No, I agree. I, I do agree. I mean, that's just who the demographic is. So in there, we needed to add it administratively. I and mean, the whole idea with the covenants is that it's still in liquid form right now. There's some uh, parts of it that we, we left. They're not, it's not set until the final PUD. So we can definitely add that and administratively make sure it's in there. Is that the appropriate step? Uh, I think we do. We have to make that a condition. In order for it to be required, it needs to be a condition. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to make that a condition that the covenants. Well, let's be specific. Let's try not to limit too much, but let's say no storage of recreational toys in their lot. Well, I'm going to be a little bit. <laughs> well, let me let me pull something else. Alan, could you change the slide to the slide plan and point out the storage units? I mean, this is kind of an interesting scenario because. On the next block, Alan will put the, the dot over it, and uh, right there. Those are mini storage units. <laughs> right. On the next block. I, I don't know what the vacancy's like, but it's only 40% in Rock County, so there are a lot of them available countywide. But, Peter, if, if you did want to crank down on outdoor storage, you know, probably uh, couldn't put a boat in there. But there is an alternative very close by for those people that don't want to live quite so minimal. They can't, you know, store their stuff under their under their unit. So would it be appropriate, Peter, and ease you? Well, you know, I, I mean, I don't particularly care either way. I just think that the way it's defined right now is very loose because when it was initially presented, it was if you're going to have your snowmobile, you're going to put it in a parking space. And all I'm saying is, no, there's nothing in here that says it's going to be in a parking space. So if you want a development where people put their snowmobiles between the units, I mean, I don't care. And I think the petitioner doesn't really want that and is willing to incorporate language into the covenants that would address that. Absolutely. And I guess what I'm looking for is some directions from staff. In terms of condition, can it be as broad as I just recited? Could you repeat what you recited? <laughs> I think you're going to do that. <laughs> um, covenants will include language which restricts the outside storage of non recreational vehicles. Are, yeah, recreational vehicles, snowmobiles. On their lots. Boats, etc. On the lots. On the lots. Be specific on, on that. On the common area and the lots. Common areas, yeah, but on their lots. And the lots. Does that work for you? But, you know, I don't know if you guys share this concern, but I'll add my two cents. That, you know, no matter what the size is, and I know this is PUD, so we're flexible. Right. The parking standard per unit is two spaces. Right. We have six for eight, you know, and there's no guarantee that you might have two cars and a boat. You know, I don't know if there's any kind of restriction there. So, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with anything less than two, and even more uncomfortable if it is less than two, that they're not specifically for their commuter vehicles. I mean, and you can, you know, as long as you're off the road, you know, you can park out on the right-of-way, but we can't say that required parking 
is out on the street. Right. So, you know, I'm not as concerned that if you, you know, find a couple people, just a couple, right, tiny home, to watch football games, they've got a place to park. Right. But it's more for the for the residents. Just so are you sense. suggesting that there be a condition that the parking spaces are only to be used, utilized for vehicles and no other uses? Makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah. Right. So now what we've done is we've amended, the, we've provided language that the covenants needs to incorporate, which restricts the storage of outside vehicles, whatever you want to call them, and that uh, parking spaces are for vehicles only. Is that okay by you, Mr. Yes. Okay. And, and let me read what's already in the covenants, if I can, Mr. Warnke. Um, all the motorized vehicles, including motorcycles, must be utilized must utilize a parking space and much, must not be larger than the assigned parking space. With the exception that if a motorcycle and a vehicle can be parked in one space in a comfortable and safe manner and still not impose any other space, then the parking arrangement will also be allowed. The association reserves the right but not the obligation to remove any vehicles from the CIC which are in violation of the covenant and reserves the right to be reimbursed for all costs associated with removal of said vehicles. The association of the declarant shall not be liable for any loss or damage resulting from such removal. The cost of maintaining or repairing the parking spaces shall be the common expense and allocated accordingly. So we kind of already had at least some of, the, some of that in there because we, we don't want... That's why I'm fine. I mean, we don't want this to be a trailer park. I, I, I just... We have we can document that and codify it. That's perfect. So I think we're adding a condition that in effect reflects what we've been talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you said, and parking spaces are for vehicles only. Correct. Is that commuter vehicles? Because a snowmobile, ATV, that considered vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get to work. A licensed. Well, I guess snowmobiles are licensed yeah. to. Licensed vehicles. How about this? You know what our intent was. So can you make up the words? Okay. Passenger vehicle. Passenger vehicles. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that's wrong, we'll, we'll change. Fix it. Forward. Thank you. Yes. Street legal. Street legal. Yeah, I haven't seen a snowmobile on the street in a while. <laughs> okay. Can you go back to now the? Um, yeah. The next one was on, do we believe that the snow storage space is adequate? <coughs> and do I not recall that staff actually went through the calculations based on Steamboat Springs snow storage requirement and that the snow storage space <coughs> was adequate? Complied with that standard. That's correct. what I thought. Okay. Everybody read that, right? Right. Okay. Uh, should the request have the standard requiring gutters? Street, so it's five, yes. Five is... Uh, or it's okay. It's, we are... There are no concerns. Okay. We're comfortable with the calculations that we're doing. 
standard requiring gutters and street and road signs be waived. I'm not sure if I understand the street and road signs. This is typically what stop signs, slow or speed limit, alley, yeah. street. Yeah, like the the name of the street. I don't think that this is going to. It, it might require a street name based on the addressing standards for emergency services. So if that's the case, then a street sign will be required. But it, this is just mainly a technicality because the subdivision regulations state that these certain elements will be required unless specifically waived by the board. And in a previous application, some of those elements were not specifically waived and we had a little bit of back and forth with the applicant. So uh, to avoid that, we included this so that everybody's clear that either it is waived or it's not waived. And I hope I'm not confusing the issue, but because this is a PUD, you almost need to look at it from the opposite side. Should they be included? Because, gotcha. because it's a PUD. What, what does the fire department require in terms of um, street signs and house numbers. Uh, that's actually a function of the addressing requirements that the county has adopted. And I did discuss addressing with, with GIS. These units won't get actual addresses until a building permit is applied for. I did not specifically ask about whether the alley would have to be named, but they did not say that it would. But, but the fire department needs to know where I'm going, right? And, and I would say that applies regardless. Yeah. yeah. Because that's outside of the zoning <coughs> regulations. So but, if, uh, if, if for that to work, the alley needs to, or the, the streets or alley or whatever, needs to have a sign on it, then, I, then it does. I actually remember now. They said that all six of these units would be addressed off of Main Street, and then they would get an A, B, C, D, and E unit number. Okay. Which is really already done. I mean, the street's named. Main Street, yeah. And there are no alleys named anywhere. Right. <laughs> but what is the standard requiring gutters? Why, why is that there? Uh, for like a steamboat two or a heritage park type situation where it's a traditional neighborhood that's developed all at one time and it helps with uh, runoff and pedestrian traffic and circulation and things like that. So in the end, it seems to me that we should be waiving those standards. Yeah, when, when curbs and gutters, and so it caught me off, me and my architect were talking today, and he kept thinking, why is that a standard? It's not a gutter on the eve, it's the curbs and gutters of the street. Right. And there's no curbs and gutters in Milner as it is yeah. now. And there's so. no underground storm water structure system. It's just yeah. conveyed through the, the surface ditches. Um, so, sir, we weighed that, right? Yep. Does Planning Commission have any concerns with the landscaping as proposed, particularly with the screening of the development? I do. I, I don't think it's. I don't think your landscape plan is anywhere near adequate. There was a discussion in the last hearing where you talked about having fencing to 
completely screen off the back of these units and also the number of trees I just I just think uh, you know it's not a very attractive uh, landscape plan there's nothing in the back but along the alley uh, so I personally don't think it's adequate and I think there should be a fence just on the, the north, on the north side that faces um, there is there existing fence here there is on there? the south side there's an existing fence owned by the gentleman here in the audience and that's just a solid wood fence so on the north side what you would see because I have a feeling that these people will end up putting a lot of stuff in that back easement area whether it says it in the CCNRs or not so I just think a fence would be appropriate on the north side and I think additional landscaping would be appropriate part of the thing with the trees is we were trying to limit the amount I mean if you put a lot of trees in there they suck the water out of the alluvium and that was one of the reasons why we didn't put in 20 30 trees there's 10 trees there the aspen trees they do suck water from the ground um, but we do want trees because they're great to live around I, I like a lot of foliage my dad's a landscape architect so um, I get landscapes are there drought tolerant species you could utilize that wouldn't use a lot of water? Right now, we're, we're using a lot in that open space, and um, that was kind of a main concern. We didn't want to have to irrigate. If we put sod and lawn, that would cause more water usage. So we were trying to limit the amount of uh, vegetation with natural zero scaping type thing that we can do up in this climate. It's not like it's Phoenix we can put in a cactus. But as far as the screen on the north side, there's there's a lot of justification for doing some kind of a barrier so that people driving by don't have to look at the tall structure or something like that. John, you look like well, what is the screening plan right now? There's a pre-existing fence on the south side. Yeah, the pre-existing fence from the neighbor uh, who had that put up. We um, we know that the lot just north of us is the last remaining commercial lot that Skid Moon owns from um, to be able to have any kind of commercial in the town of Milner. And so we don't know what's going to be built there, but obviously if someone built a convenience store or something, we would definitely probably, the association would put up a screen fence just to have their privacy from something like that. Right now it's an open lot and it wasn't really addressed. And if it, the commission felt like that was a necessity, we could come up with some kind of a screening system. Um, probably drop in a few more trees before I put up a fence. I don't think fences are pleasant. Um, in my neighborhood in California, people fence their whole houses in. They said, this is ours. But in steamboat and everywhere, people, they don't have fences usually. Yeah, I think it's adequate. I mean, I think it's a tight space, so it's hard to find places to put landscaping. Uh, the fence doesn't really bother me, uh, having it in the north side. To me, you know, it's just a residential area with some houses. It would be the same as any other kind of residential house with maybe one more added uh, that you can see from the road. But it is adjacent to a commercially zoned block. I think as the applicant, 
as the applicant said, it's going to be more effective for the uh, people living there in the units than the actual commercial lot itself, in my mind. Peter, comments? Um, you know, it's residential. I mean, my guess is if you drove around there, you would find lots of the houses that don't have fences or excessive landscaping and stuff. I mean, I think the screen, when we talk about screening for developments, it's a lot of times because we don't want everybody to kind of see, see what's there and see what the impact is. But this is residential, so I guess I would. So you're going to find it. This is his. John? I'm fine with Bill? I, I like the zero scape idea that price water and steam, but it's for builder. It's like, okay, let's keep, keep the fence down at such time that we need one. Then. Yeah, I'm comfortable with it as well. And I think fence on the north side may be of value at some point in time. When that lot becomes developed, but I think for the interim, I do So, the answer to the question is, I think yes, we are comfortable. Okay. Yeah. Are there any other questions for staff? First paragraph of staff comments, well, I'm on page nine, talks about the utility easements. And the last sentence says it's suggested that easements for these utilities be provided. Does that need to be a condition? I think it already did. You think it already did? Yeah. They're already on uh, yeah. the final plat. Okay. They are li they're listed on the drawings. I'm just going through my little checklist. Absolutely. It's, uh, I, so I saw that as well, and I was wondering why it was still there, and gotcha. I was going to bring it up, okay. but it's already there. So page 20, 15, 16, and 17. Okay. Conditions of approval, 15, 16, and 17. Questions for staff before we go to round table. So we're going to start with Roberta. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, I'm used to sitting there. I know. So I got to have it. I'm sorry. So, you know, I'm I'm conflicted. To be honest with you, I, I understand that there is a need for 
uh, a variety of housing types in Route County. I understand that there's an affordability issue that's huge uh, in this county, and a lot of people cannot afford places, you know, can't even find an apartment, let alone uh, a tiny house to live in. On the other hand, I, I'm completely empathetic to the concerns of the neighborhood, and uh, I would like this project a lot better if it had five units instead of six, because then you could get a couple extra parking spaces, and it wouldn't be quite so dense. Uh, so, you know, and I'm, I'm I believe I've made my comments earlier about the, my concern about the landscaping. I don't understand why you can't have some drought tolerant uh, plant material to make that uh, blend in better with the neighborhood. I believe those are my comments. Okay. Peter? Um, I'm also conflicted. I mean, I think that we hear a lot about the great tiny house movement, but I, I haven't done enough research to see any places where you could look at where it's actually happening and everybody goes, yeah, this is a great thing for the neighborhood and it all works out as it's supposed to. So um, I, I think by increasing the, the density of the number of houses, even though it's not square footage, I think you're it's sort of an experiment, and it's an experiment at the risk of the neighbors that, when they built, had to um, had to address a different set of rules. So, that's good. John, my concerns were uh, parking and snow storage. And although I'm skeptical still of the eight proposed parking spaces, that's what proposed. Uh, as far as the snow storage, once I got it clarified that the alley is not for snow storage, which is why I asked that question earlier, I, I think, again, it is what it's going to be. And they'll have to deal with it. setting a precedence here, and I, I had went back and forth a lot with it, we beat it into the ground, but all the questions I had originally when it came in front of us were pretty much answered and set up so that uh, uh, this could move forward. And this location might not be the best for the neighbors, but at this time, I don't see any reason to stop it. I, the water will work. Parking will work for me. The uh, snow storage, he did mention originally that it could be hauled off if it got too much. And that's what all the neighbors would have to do. So, with the water conditions aid on both conditions, I think it pretty much takes care of that. So, I'm in favor at this point. 
So for me, I agree with Roberta's sentiments about five houses. It would make it a lot easier to approve. I think uh, all the hesitations of uh, things feeling so clumped together and just barely making it fit in that little area um, would kind of go away with five houses. I think with the commissioners reading their notes as well, that they're debating between four and six, and that's kind of been a, a big issue. Is this two teeny or teeny houses? Um, but with that, I think the address, the, uh, the water quality, the parking issues, um, I think they have addressed those things. I think it goes a long ways to say that it is just for street vehicles. I think in that regards, that gives me a little bit more lenience to say that the 1.3 could fit with the teeny houses for what uh, a person who's a minimalist or someone like that would be going, as well as what Chad said about that there is storage, literally like footsteps away from there. Um, to me, I think um, the random thing of the uh, recreation basketball hoop is kind of pointless where it is. I think something like with the cistern being in the middle right there, if maybe you could pave that and then flip it around or something like that, you'd still have the snow storage area right there. The permeability wouldn't be going towards the cistern. That would solve that problem as well. Um, for the water quality in that um, location. And I do think that it does fit, but just barely. And personally, um, I really support the tiny home um, projects. I can appreciate the fact that it doesn't sit well with everyone. However, I think we need to always move forward as a county in terms of addressing our housing issues. I think this plan is a valiant and a, actually quite a good effort towards doing so. I don't know. I think when you split hairs between six and five units, it's exactly what you're doing. Is you're kind of splitting hairs. Um, I'm comfortable with it. I think that the petitioner has done a yeoman's job in terms of addressing all the concerns, particularly the water, snow storage, and um, parking. And with that thought in mind, um, I'd support it. So. We didn't really address the laundry issue that was raised. Well, we didn't address the laundry issue, but Roberta, I think if you go to the water report, there were comments about that, and I don't know that it significantly really impacted the overall usage of water. I mean, it does, but not significantly. No, I was going to leave that one alone. Um, so with that thought in mind, I think at this point in time, we're to the point of a motion, and a vote of some type. Keep in mind that there are actually two activities we need to deal with. Come in, um, we turn to page 19. <coughs> Thank you, John. No, I'm sorry. It's 17 at first. 19 is the second. So this would be the final PUD. Um, keep in mind that there are one, two, three, four findings. Um, I need a bit of direction from staff. We talked about, oh, is that number 23? 
Are you talking about the addition to the covenants? Yes, I am. So that would be in the preliminary and final subdivision motion. Okay. And it would end up as 14J as the numbering goes right now. Ah, okay. And do you have some words for us? I was hoping. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, so this is what I have written down. Um, restricts the outside storage of RV, ATV boats on common areas or lots, and parking spaces are for passenger or street vehicle vehicles only. Fine. Okay. Thank you. That's the. That would be 14 J. J. On the subdivision. On the subdivision. Right. Yeah. So, in the matter of petition PL 19 132, um, the chair will entertain a motion for the final PUD, approving the final PUD. Mr. Chair, vote to approve the 19 132 final PUD. With the findings of that one through four as written, and uh, <coughs> okay. conditions one through fifteen as written. And fifteen is A through F, correct? Um, we didn't change any of those. Might there be a second to the motion? I'll second the motion. Thank you, Greg. So we have a motion on PL-19-132 to approve the final PUD with findings of fact 1 through 4 conditions, general conditions 1 through 15. I'm just saying F, A through F as well. Um, this is a redundant. Nine and ten are the same position. I want to amend your motion just slightly. Like just correct number nine. Yeah, okay, fine. Okay. Okay, we have a motion again. We have a second from Greg. All those in favor of the motion is presented. Yes. Please signify by saying yes. 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 Those opposed, please say no. Chair votes yes. Was that unanimous? Did I hear from everybody? I'm sorry? Did I hear from everybody? You did it. Okay. Yes. Motion is passed. Second item would be the petition PL 19 133 and PL 19 134. Hold on, man. Which is the preliminary final subdivision approval? Uh, noting that there are two findings of fact and general conditions one through fourteen with sorry one through thirteen with fourteen J. Should you call that J? Yeah. Yep. And then fifteen through 
24. Might there be a motion? Yes, sir. So moved. <laughs> Might there be a second? A second. We have a motion and a second. Again, on the board of the final PUD, petition PL-19-133 and PL-19-134, the findings of fact number one through two, general conditions, one through 13, 14J with the language and words as provided by staff. Do I need to read those? Do you need to read them into the record? Probably. You got them? Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. And then conditions 15 through 24. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor of the motion signify please by saying yes. 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 All opposed, please say no. Chair votes yes. Motion is carried. Thank you. I will. Next item on the agenda, discussion regarding residential treatment facility standards. Christy, is this you? It is. All right. I have to tell you, Christy, when I first read the title, yes. I was assuming you were talking about septic systems. <laughs> <laughs> Treatment facilities. Well, that is a good point that we can further discuss. <laughs> no, right. So this discussion is very preliminary at this point, okay. and it's obviously to consider putting a new line in the land use chart. Um, what's that? Sure. So, um, thank you for sitting around. Hey, my, my pleasure, yeah. This is Hans. He is the owner, manager of Three Strands Ranch. Um, I don't know if you've heard in the paper. It's a new residential treatment facility. I actually read the article with interest. Yes, I do. Yes. Uh, located in South Route of Links Pass. Um, so we have been in discussions and thought it would be beneficial if you were part of this sure. conversation. I also reached out to the foundry. Um, to let them know we were having this conversation also um, since this is a work session at this stage. Right. So for those of you that remember <laughs> how we got to this point is that the, the issue here is that the county doesn't have a formalized process to review residential treatment facilities. Um, there are processes, land uses that share similar type uses and have similar type impacts as of right now. Examples of that, who was here for the Hughes Bed and Breakfast, that was a residential treatment facility that had a um, rec facility component, component to it, along with rehabilitation services that they offered to their clients. Um, I believe that was back in 2015, I believe, and that was up in North Route, Clark area. And then there was the foundry application, which was processed as, as a guest ranch. That application was denied after review and consideration of the merits of the application. 
Uh, it came back in as a use by right under the definition of family. That is also um, how three strands, how that is, that was reviewed um, and processed under the definition of family as well. So up here, screen, um, a lot of words up there, but this is our current definition of family. So this is how those two facilities um, were processed. This is under definition B, which states a family shall be deemed to include five or more persons, but not in excess of 12 persons that are not related by blood marriage, adoption or legal custody, occupying a residential dwelling unit and living as a single housekeeping unit if the occupants are handicapped or disabled persons as defined in the Fair Housing Amendment Act. It goes on to say a household that includes five or more persons identified above shall not be excluded from the definition of family by the residents in the household of additional necessary persons and their families employed in the care supervision, such as handicapped or disabled persons. I guess yeah. I didn't really have to read that for the record, but um, but, <laughs> um, but it is important for the for the discussion of, of why we're having this discussion today. So, going through the process and over the years. Um, under FHA, persons recovering from drug and or alcohol addictions are deemed disabled under FHA. So that's where that comes into play under our definition of family. They're protected from housing discrimination and we need to make reasonable accommodations and rules and practices in order to allow housing for the disabled. And Route County has remained compliant with that by processing these applications as we have in the past, making reasonable accommodations, <clears throat> and also um, the use by right as family for 12 or fewer persons. As some of you recall from the foundry application, a lot of this was taken from that staff report and for that consideration for the guest ranch was that reasonable accommodation it doesn't end with finding an avenue just to process the application. You still have to consider the merits of the application, along with our policies and our regulations that we have. Um, the problem is the current practice that's not transparent if we, if we just process an application under the definition of family, or if we process it as a guest branch or a bed and breakfast. There should be a land use category that describes what it is. So it can be um, properly vetted through the system and the process. Um, what constitutes a reasonable accommodation is a case-by-case -case determination, um, and it should be based on the regulations and policies, which we mentioned. Um, the other issue is a 12-person residential treatment facility as a use by right under the definition of family does not allow for accessory type uses outside of the home that wouldn't be considered normal and incidental to the dwelling unit. So we're running into that now with um, some other facilities where if we're gonna be reviewing it as a family, it's that and what would be normal or um, under, under the review of a family may not include 
residential treatment rooms that are outside of the dwelling unit, having multiple remote buildings that support that use. And so we're running into that issue now where, you know, if one of these existing facilities or one in the future wanted to have um, support type uh, accessory structures like yurts or, or gyms, things that wouldn't be normal to a single family that you would see, it, we would be, it would be difficult for us to process that application as such. So under creating a new land use category for what it actually is, all of those accessory type structures that support the use can be considered. So this is the recommendation, and this is a starting point um, for a definition under residential treatment facility which is a live-in healthcare facility providing therapy for substance abuse, mental illness, or other behavioral problems, um, as well as allowance under the use chart. It would be something that could be considered as a special use permit in all zone districts. We're kind of just starting big at this point, and we imagine we're going to have a more in-depth conversation, <laughs> just even based on some of the research we've done so far. Um, and then there, there could be standards that could apply. Um, right now, we're just sticking with section six, general standards and mitigation techniques, techniques, which is typical of most of our land use applications and reviews that you see. So issues for discussion. Um, before we get to some of these questions, you know, which includes should this land use be allowed in all zone districts, definitions, triggers, intensity of use. Um, I just want to share with you some of the other counties and um, governments that, municipalities that we had reviewed. We looked into the regulations for Summit County, Garfield County, Pitkin County, Gunnison County and the city of Steamboat Springs. Um, the one common theme that they all seem to have is they use the term group home. Um, Summit County in particular didn't have much information. In fact, when I called, I told them that we were looking to go down this path for a new land use category and uh, they couldn't really guide me in a land use process for this sort of thing other than a group home. And I tried to present it as an applicant if I was an applicant and I wanted to open up a residential treatment facility for say 20 people and have some sort of recreational support type um, accessory structures, what would be the process for that? And they didn't have an answer. They had to get back to me, and I tried to follow up, and they still don't have an answer. They did admit that I think they're a little behind the eight ball here, and, uh, and it's something that they need to work on. Um, they, they don't think that they're in compliance. And, and this, these rules and regulations are constantly changing. Um, the two counties, I would say, that have the most robust uh, regulations would be the city of Stevo, which has the newest code, um, and also Garfield County. Um, 
what would be typical for a definition for a group home is a facility operated by by a public nonprofit or private agency that provides care or supervision of persons who are not related by blood marriage or adoption to the facility owner, operator, or manager. Ironically enough, I couldn't even find a definition of family for Garfield. Um, I, I did speak with a staff member there, and they did indicate that they just, within the past few years, updated their code to be in compliance. Um, but he didn't have much information and couldn't really point me to a person to speak to at this time. So it's pretty interesting. Um, as far as the city of Hemo Springs, they have a group living category. And under their review, they actually have a definition, but it is um, under a group living category is the definition, which doesn't really tell you much of anything other than it's a residential building that contains a principal dwelling, um, but would fit under one of the following categories. They divided into dormant anything from a dormitory to a group home for older adults. They have a nursing care facility, um, a shelter house, and then the closest to what I think what we um, are trying to accomplish here would be a residential care facility. And that provides housing and 24-hour care to unrelated persons who are in need of personal services, supervision, or assistance, essential for sustaining the activities of daily living due to developmental disability, physical condition or illness, mental condition. Uh, residential care facilities may offer central kitchens, dining, recreational, and other facilities. And then they break that down into a large and small facility. Um, a common theme I did find through the research is most people, most of these places actually have limited use permits for, for these type of uses. Um, what does that mean? This, more so, I guess I would compare that to our administrative review process. Oh. So I found that interesting. So that is something I do want to look more into as to why that is, if there is especially um, Steamboat, since they have the newest updated code. Um, I have a meeting set up with Rebecca. I was not able to coordinate with her before this meeting, but I know that they coordinated with their legal team in presenting these regulations and to get to some of the areas that maybe we just need to be more considerate of moving forward in this process. Um, Does Steamboat limit uh, the, the zoning? Like locational? Uh, Steamboat, I found Steamboat and Garfield County do have locational type standards. Garfield in particular has them for not having um, one type use within a certain distance from another and you're limited to that I, I believe it's 300 feet from another facility. Um, as far as Steamboat goes, they have um, 
and this was just off of a, uh, it's not listed in their actual code they gave me, but, um, but I, I did find out they have something that's a little more interesting where they have to provide, uh, hold on one second, under, under a residential care facility small, they say residents must be pre-screened by a mental health professional and cannot have been previously convicted of a felony involving a violent crime or have been found guilty by reason of insanity. And then there are use standards that go along with that. That state is small residential care facilities shall be conducted within a single family dwelling. Any external modifications to the building shall not alter the single family or two family residential character of the building. And snow storage shall be provided in accordance with their section that relates to that. And I did have a um, informal discussion with a staff planner over at the city. And when she started telling me about some of these standards for the residential care facility, my first response was, who's enforcing that? And is that required? I mean, is that something that they require in their application? Who's reviewing that? And she wasn't even, it was so new that it really hasn't been practiced yet and she didn't have an answer for me. So I made an appointment with Rebecca, the director over there, who apparently wrote the code and worked with the um, with their legal team over there. So as you can see, it is very scattered based on the research I have found. Um, you know, we, we do have a definition of family. Um, Chad, you might be able to add to some of the research that you had done in the past during the foundry, the review, uh, the review of the foundry, um, as as it relates to Fair Housing Act or the history of putting in the definition of family. Totally putting sure. you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Um, Can we go back to that? Yeah, when that that foundry application came through, that. You know, basically kind of ran into a wall with the, through the county approval process. You know, there was... Um, well, but they came in for 24 people or some bigger number. Right, the planning commission recommended less. And, and it was processed as a guest range yeah. at that time. Right. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah guest range with, um, with the therapy component. Right. And when really it was maybe the other way around at best. Right. And, uh, it, and then... They just decrease their numbers, and, and all of a sudden it's a family. And you know, and I can read that definition to you because this is kind of the fallout right now, like we've seen, you know, with the family. Uh, a family shall be deemed to include five or more persons, but we already not access as well. Oh yeah, you go through the with the hand. It's, it's up on the screen. Oh, sorry. So anyway, so that's Skippious. I was already. <laughs> Um, so, my opinion is that was put in place mainly by the Supreme Court that that you couldn't zone out a group home, you know, or you know, a home as it refers to um, handicapped or disabled person, and you know, and, and even based on some of the experiences I had down on the front range, and even through that boundary application. Some of the 
fears, you know, and comments that were heard at these public hearings, you know, I think is what lead, you know, what led some of these local governments to zone out these group homes. Right. And it's just not appropriate. <clears throat> you know, we got to take care of our own. You know, they, they need, you know, these, these disabled or handicapped people, you know, need a good place to live. And so I think that's what started off with this, especially this line between more than 12 or less than 12. I mean, as Christy was reading that definition about the, what, the not convicted of a, you know, Gun, violent yeah. crime yeah. or what was the second one? That if you're less than, if you're 12 or less, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, that's only if you want a big facility. So but this is, a, but, but the, these standards are under their residential care facility small. No, that's not. Right. But, right. But, but what's that number for, for a small? Yeah, it, it says eight or eight or fewer persons. Okay. And that's but, but, but I think what that might have to do, so maybe, like Christy mentioned before, that, you know, if you're, if you have the goal of providing this kind of facility, you don't want to be hamstrung by having to live under that definition of family. Because, like Christy said earlier, that's what we're running into now. You know that we have to withhold building permits because you know what that isn't that isn't accessory it isn't customary and commonly associated with yeah. a house and it might be to a treatment center but you're a family you're not a treatment center so again one of the reasons why we're here right now is to you know have our zoning you know more open to that kind of uh, that kind of facility instead of just using either rec facility or guest branch. Or the family to kind of shoehorn that into our community. Well, my memory is when we went through the the um, for, for boundary, 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 boundary. Yeah, um, I think the consensus of the planning commission was everyone encouraged. Well, first of all, everyone recognized and felt there was a need in the community, <laughs> hands down. Secondly, encouraged the type of facility. Um, that was being promoted, I think we struggled with the headcount. Yeah, I think that it was the intensity issue. of use yeah. at that time. But I think, you know, your first question is going to be another stumbling block. Do we allow that in all zones? Because I don't, I mean, I could see, well, I could see the public getting pretty irritated and upset because we all talked out of both sides of our mouth. <laughs> You know, you got MRE zoning in this five acre, and the guy next to it, no, put it someplace else. Right. Not here. I mean, yeah, that's a good example because, you know, MRE, that's our state zone. It's our I most restrictive zone district, so it may not be appropriate there. You know, and then back to our master plan conversation about the commercialization of the AF zone. Well, and that's the next thing that's I was going to you're going to run into a major conflict, I think, with the master plan. Yeah. So, but, and so that, that's where the Chapter 8 standards come in. You know, so is there something that we can do, you know, to cap, you know, at the onset of the application stage, you know, what the intensity of use would be, you know, and, and it may be, you know, like Steamboat's example, that we have a, a minor and a major, you know, so maybe you might want 12, you know, as a minor. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot to wrap our arms around, and there are many options out there for us. Because the gentleman is here, how many units 
or how many, what's the headcount in your yeah, facility? Yeah, you just a little bit about three strands. So we have a 738 acre property on Canada, 16 in Oak Creek. Uh, we just opened two weeks ago. We got our first patient in right now. Uh, he's a great kid, uh, super sharp, uh, just has had a rough story and some adverse life conditions. Uh, we're currently able to house 12 uh, in the current home that we have on the ranch. Um, we have another uh, captain being built right now as well, and that'll scale us up to like the 24 underneath the Fair Housing Act legislation. <coughs> and we're going to stay that until kind of 320 and kind of see where our business is at, what the demand's looking like, and then we would like to build another two to three cabins on the ranch down the road. Um, <coughs> our model is for a 90 day treatment program. Uh, the first really? 60 days, yeah. our clients, which are young adult males age 18 through 27, are on our ranch. And they're participating in ranch chores and taking care of livestock and fixing fence and working out work is a good thing. And couple that with individual group therapy and really just putting guys who come from kind of normal middle class families um, in a situation where they can they can breathe. They can kind of look back and process their story and their life and typically the trauma that leads to where they're currently at and, and do it in a pretty unique way. And then the last 30 days as a wilderness expedition. So our guys put everything on their backpacks and are out in the backcountry for 30 days. And, uh, it's a pretty unique and, and awesome program. So that's a group synopsis. And right now we're at 12 and we'll be up to 24 um, later this fall. How can you get to 24? Well, we, we talk, you know, Alan and I talk with the, the three streams people about that. And again, there are some constraints there because under our zoning regulations, to get 24, to get above 12, it has to be a house. And in the 24 example, it has to be two houses. So there really couldn't be common amenities. You know, it's a bigger ranch, so there would have to be a large lot agreement or have to carve out the 35, you know, depending, depending on the size of the home. So, you know, we kind of gave that heads up that, you know, that if you're a neighbor, if you're a passerby, you couldn't look in and see something different than two homes. Got it. And that's actually advantageous for us because it allows us to have smaller cohorts within our program so we can have 12 person cohorts in each single family home, which allows for greater levels of care, greater intimacy within the relationships that are there. And that's working fine for us and we actually but if they ever wanted to go to a system where they had a common element, you know, a workout facility, you know, stable, you know, that that's when it starts to get a little, little gray. Well, because this is a workshop, I guess all comments don't count. But I'm thinking in his case specifically, do we justify the 24, let's say, because there's a there's a, a significant agricultural element that goes on there. I'm back on the master plan thing. I mean, it seems to me to have that facility on 700 acres violates the master plan. I think. Well, not We're not maintaining not it now because it's a use by right. Well, I got that part. I mean, fast forwarding. Yes. Yes. And that would be part of that standard. I mean, because. You know, it's a, you know, facility of 24 plus staff, you know, therapeutic maintenance, you know, visitors. I don't know if you allow visitors, but that's a lot more impact on the county road system than just two homes. And as the use by right system that we're working under right now, yeah, we can't do it. You know, so at least if there's a permit process for that, that we could, you know, it, it you know, 
maybe have some maintenance standards or evaluate it based on the, the maintenance level of the county road. And um, so it would be, you know, helping, you know, the, the, the community, the taxpayer, you know, as well as providing options for the providers. Why, why would that be an impact on the roads? Under what scenario? You said it would be an impact on the roads. I mean, they're not going to have 24 um, clients, um, each with their own vehicle. No, but staff. Yeah, they have staff. Staff, or if, open to the, if they have visitors, um, deliveries, what, what have you. And, and it depends on the case-by-case -case situation, but. How far up lengths is this? Uh, we're about 12 miles up the road, so we're about three miles before the county stops maintaining the road in the wintertime. <laughs> so we're pretty far up there, and, and again, the reason that I'm here today is I just wanted to be a part of the, the transparent campaign. No, I think that part's fine. Is this your first facility? Have you gone through the process, or first have one. you, and what made, are you from the area, or what made you look into Route County? Yeah, well, I live in Fort Collins. I spent my time between Fort Collins and South Route. And um, we were looking two years ago on what it would look like to start a treatment program, which was kind of sparked by a family member of mine struggling with a heroin addiction and kind of led me and motivated me to want to get in the fight and put some skin in the game and try to help guys that are just struggling. And uh, we were looking across downtown and across the west, and um, Joshua Tears, Summit County, Vale, Aspen area. And, so you got hit home because uh, it was a, just a great community, uh, great family, atmosphere, rich agricultural background. And uh, we wanted a place where um, our program would really fit into the community and, and not really change much. And then also a place that would attract uh, a great team of, team of people to actually provide the care that we're implementing. So Steve kind of did the Did you, um, through that process, reach out to a bunch of those other communities to see what the process would look like? No, we hadn't. We were just kind of looking at which town we wanted to go to. And Steve looked at the bill, and the first person I really talked to was Scott Gordon from Maverick. And I reached out to them and asked them, you know, what are the guidelines, what are the restrictions, and then from there we met with Alan Goldick and mm -hmm. brought him into the equation. We signed a large law agreement. And we've been in conversation with you guys since February 5th of 2019, right. uh, about a week after we purchased the range. So figure out how to do this. And so we've been in compliance with the law and reaching out and in conversation and um, we're just trying to do things right. Help me with a large lot agreement. I don't know how that plays into this. Um, if you've got 70 acres or more, this will buy 35, you can get an additional secondary dwelling unit for every 35 acres. Oh. And um, it's an agreement that you have with the county, and it basically says instead of the 800 square foot, you can have up to 2,000 square foot. Uh, it, there's no distance limitation. You can have it on a separate driveway, um, but you cannot further subdivide the land to create a non-conforming situation. But the number of large, so the 35 acres is considered a large lot. That well, I would if, you had, if you had 35, it's right. If you have 70, then you can do a large lot agreements. If I had 140, I could do three large lot agreements. What do you mean with the couple of three months? Well, how are we going to do yes. But yes. Yes, divided by yeah. 30. Where did 35 come from? State law. State. Huh? State law. Senate 35 back in 1974, 6? I heard a story about that because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Seriously. Well, if you think in terms of quarter sections and eight sections and sections, 35 acres makes no sense. I think it was a political group. Well, I thought I heard it was a 35th bill. 
And that's where they came off the number. Really stupid. Okay. Arbitrary. I think there's a couple of uh, treatment facilities over in Craig. I don't know if you looked at Moffat County or what's the city of Craig. Um, I, I have not, but um, I certainly can. I see this being definitely start of the conversation. <laughs> you know, um, yes. Go ahead. I personally have to go. I have some visiting right now. Um, but I just wanted to say we had an open house last night. Um, we invited neighbors across Canada 16 up to the ranch. And we were expecting a mixed bag of feedback, obviously. Uh, but we wanted to be transparent for people up and have candid discussions. And we had tremendous feedback. I mean, we had almost 30 neighbors there. And uh, people came in pretty quiet, confused, and a little nervous. And then they left giving us hugs. And uh, we got great responses. And um, we were really encouraged by that and a little shocked. Uh, Did your most immediate neighbor show up? Sorry? Your most immediate neighbor? Yeah, he, he didn't show up. Did he show up to the open house? He did not, but yeah. I had lunch with him at his home last week. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Good. So, um, we got great feedback, and I mean, obviously not everyone's on board, but it was really encouraging for us. Sure. Okay. Well, good luck. I appreciate yeah. you did that. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thank it. you. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Thanks. The Thanks next meeting guys. also with the Board of County Commissioners on the 24th, but yeah. you and I can continue that. Great. Talk. Thanks, Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. guys. Bye. Um, so at this point, we're looking for some <coughs> starting pointers and, and some direction from you all of do you agree that there should be a land use category for this? I guess we can start with, and then from there, uh, these are some of the <coughs> discussion points, and add others that you feel would be appropriate for us to research and look into. I wouldn't necessarily be against the land use category, but I think before we would get that far, we would probably want to get our arms around some of the answers to the other questions because, let me say, I would struggle having it available in all zoning districts. I think that's a mistake. I don't think the people would like that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like it is restricted in at least two of the um, counties we've looked at that has, uh, I think, good regulations for but is updated regulations. Is that so, an oversight? No, I, I think that the other counties just have a group home definition. I don't know if they also just rely on family. Um, from some of the staff members I have spoken to, it, I think that there was an amendment, like they admit that this is an area that they have to work mm -hmm. and address. Can, can you say more about your concern of being in all zoning areas? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, we've got a number of zoning areas, but the ones that jump out at me, um, the MREs, mm -hmm. the LDRs, the MDRs, the HDRs, those are all residential developments and communities. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not sure that a treatment facility at least of the nature that we're talking about, right? Maybe the size. I think yeah, that's it's what you're thinking. So areas. if we had two different land use categories, no, I'm not quite as concerned about group homes, but I don't know how to differentiate between the two. 
I would say a group home normally, and based on the definitions I read, would fit under our definition of family. So if a group home wanted to come in to Steamboat 2 or Treehouse as of right now, they could under the definition of family. And I, and I think it's intended to the smaller type facility um, versus a recreational facility treatment center. Right. But then carry that thought right. a little bit farther. So then is the actual usage, let's talk about a group home for the time being, in Steamboat 2, then the facility, does the facility limit the number of family members? I mean, I'm just taking Steamboat 2. By our definition, it would, be the, it would be less than 12. Would have to be somehow. Correct. If you're looking at so, but Steamboat... So let that run, and it's self-policing? It's one way to handle it's, it. Yeah. What's that? Right, complaint-based. Yeah. So that... So yeah, so I mean that, that's kind of our baseline right now. That anywhere residences, homes are allowed, there's the twelve. So in the MRE, in those residential zone districts, we've already got that. It doesn't appear Steamboat has any regulation on placement of residential care facilities. Um, they have the definition that they're allowed in residential zones, and the breakdown of a large facility is nine or more persons, uh, and a small is eight or fewer persons. Yeah, okay. Uh, can I ask? Yeah. Why, if somebody could come in as a use by right with 12 people as a group home, would they ever come in? So that's a good question, and I think if you want more than 12 people, or if you want supporting type amenities, amenities right. it would benefit you to come in. I think that there is a fear to come in under the regulations, uh, under a use permit, or under review. Um, for that fear, you may get denied. Right. But I think that's case by case. I think there, you know, you all made a decision, a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners for actually that was decided by a planning commission at that time because that came through no that was a guest ranch, I apologize. Right. That was a recommendation right. by you all to Board of County Commissioners. And ultimately that was denied. But you were considering the intensity of use right. of that um, right. facility. I mean, something like three strands, if that were to come before you at that time, you're, you're looking at a 35-acre piece of parcel that was the foundry, you know, that, that the acreage is 35 acres, I think. Right. Pretty sure. you're right. Was it 40? <clears throat> Just over 35 versus thousands of acres surrounded by um, the um, National Forest. Yeah. So, another thing I want to think about is maybe set those limits. Obviously, would be the standards. Yeah, I check rates. I well, I think you talked about that a little bit um, when you talk in terms of a large and small residential treatment facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as as I see it right now. You do have an option for a group home type facility, which 
to me, and based on some of the definitions, is generally less than 12 in some manner. So it is a smaller type facility. There is an avenue for that currently, um, but we don't have one for these larger type facilities. Right. That actually says what the use is, and rather than reviewing it as a guest ranch or yeah. bed and breakfast. And again, I think I'll say it again. Then I'm going to shut up. I think the links to this guy's approach, unless I was misreading, but I mean, I think he, they're running an active A business there as well. <coughs> And that makes me more comfortable in terms of um, maintaining the Western rural character of the county. I have less comfort level when it comes to the property, because they're not. And I, my concern always is we need to be a little careful in terms of violating the master plan where we see the larger group ones go. Well, would you agree that a consideration for a standard or appropriate standard would be that it maintains the appearance of a residence or a residential, just like our home occupation, uh, the language, I don't have exactly in front of me at the moment, but that's a standard of our home occupation, that it doesn't take away from the appearance of it being yeah. yes. a yes. single family. Yeah. And we've got that master plan policy, that compatibility of and we could change that into a standard. Um, there could be another um, based on lo uh, locational type standard that there uh, to prevent a proliferation of these type of facilities all in the same area. But that would be part of the review also yeah. when you're reviewing the application through the regulations and the policies of the master plan. I, I have a problem with uh, being too worried about the master plan when it comes to treatment facilities. That Yeah, we have a western rural agricultural heritage. A um, hundred years ago, I don't think the people in Route County probably worried much about what happened to people with mental or physical disabilities. Um, and they probably certainly didn't worry about what happened to people that were addicted to opioids or heroin or anything else. Um, the reality is, is those are not just city problems. Oh, I don't. I we don't, have those. Yeah. We have those in Route County, and I think as the world goes forward, we need to make sure that we are taking care of those people with a full range of services. So will that look like the Old West of 200 years ago? No, it won't. And uh, I don't know, you know, if you want to say, no, well, this is rural, so we can't have this. Where, where do you want those people to go? I don't think that ever is, I don't think I've ever said that. And it's no different than I, than I said this. When we were dealing with the founder, the commissioners to all of the university recognized we need them. That wasn't even a debate. The debate gets to where you want to put them. And where would you put them? I like this guy. In Garfield County? Yeah, right. No, the lease thing was fine. Yeah. The foundry was okay for the 12. 
-hmm. but he won in 24. And now you get into, it was an intensity of use issue. Right. So yeah, yeah, I'm not, all I'm saying is that the master plan also wants us to be sensitive to, hey, it's no different then. <clears throat> Instead of it being a foundry allocation, I guess I use the analogy, so the guy walks in the door and he wants to put up a 15-unit condominium building on 35 acres along 131. I, I don't see that as the same thing. I do. It's the headcount. The density. And the density. Yeah. Yeah, I do. So don't worry about the usage. I don't care about that part. I think um, that's you, not the issue. I think if you would have, if the foundry was on, <coughs> in comparison, a larger piece of property. Absolutely. Like three strands, I think the outcome of that application could have been very different. Um, if you couldn't see it through the trees, that might have made a difference. Yep. You know, if it was on a, a smaller county road instead of U.S. Highway, that might have made a difference. I mean, it was really a unique situation where it was barren, bald, whatever, no trees, South Valley floor, you know, direct view, small property. And, they and then were, the guy next door was growing pot. He was upset. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and then there's yeah, that, that, that stigma associated with group homes. You know, Steve, you were there. One of the guys got up and said that he didn't want these, you know, whacked out drug addicts breaking into his house and stealing his stuff. Yeah, running around at midnight and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was down the front range. There was a senior group home that was going in the neighborhood. And one guy got up and he said... He said, I don't want deranged, naked old men running through my neighborhood. <laughs> it, seriously, somebody said that. Yeah. And just, at that point, I was like, you know, yeah, this is, we're not taking care of our own. They approved it. So you can it. So I don't know if I made my point or not, but yeah. I hear what you're saying, but that wasn't. I mean, one way. You know, obviously, if an application came through, it would be vetted through the process, and you'd be looking at intensity of use and these other things to whether or not that land use is appropriate on that site. Um, I think what you all would need to consider is, is it then maybe a size standard, a standard that you should consider for the size rather than zoning district? No less than 35 acres. That would be AF, but um, but there are smaller pieces of property that are zoned AF, or whatever that size you may think would be appropriate for this kind of facility. And what does this kind of facility look like? I mean, right now we're just saying a residential treatment facility, which you made your point clear, Steve. You don't like the, the name, which that's something that can be addressed as well. Right. Okay. So let's say let's say that we've got a small facility taken care of already with the definition of family. If this were appropriate in the AF zone district, what mitigation would you like to see? So we got size, visual, you know, let's, because, you know, we could draft some chapter eight standards for next time, you know, yeah. based on your comments. So what, what are your concerns about impacts that we could address? So what, so what if it's a facility, for instance, I'm thinking of uh, 
in Minneapolis, there's a nationally famous facility, Courage Center, um, mainly built around rehabilitation of people with severe spinal cord injuries. Mm -hmm. Now, because of that, they're all in wheelchairs, and yeah. some of them push their own wheelchair, and some of them use IMO movement. Because of that, their campus is entirely accessible, um, and so there's all these people on wheelchairs that are going around on very smooth sidewalks, and there's pools with lifts and all sorts of stuff like that. If that were here, would you say, oh, well, that doesn't look like rural, agricultural, Western heritage, a bunch of people running around in wheelchairs? But, but yeah, it's something good. like that. You're good, yeah, just that on. I, I would argue that a facility like that may be best to be closest to a growth center or in a growth center due to you know, just and how would they, how would next they, to your services. How would they afford the property for that in a growth center? I mean, I don't think that is the land use issue. I mean, generally, those kinds of facilities are in close proximity to services available to them. The difference here is generally you see what seems to be the, the new way of going is what he was describing and getting out of the city and focusing on recovery um, away from those kind of services. Everything that you need is available to you at that facility. So, but to your point, that is another question. I mean, do you want this focused on just residential treatment care facility or do we need to consider group home living and having categories? Yeah, I don't, uh, it would seem to me that it would be, well. You know, and, and that would include um, group home for older adults. Um, group home for older adults, a nursing care facility. I mean, th these are things that I think with an aging population we need to consider also, or do we have the attitude that's being addressed in our growth center is already Hayden has a facility. Um, What's the zoning on Casey's Pond? That's in the city, but yeah. that's... Uh, but same question, though. Um, I think it's zoned commercial. I don't know what their equivalent zoning is. And that covers the need very nicely for the really rich old people. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's actually not true. Well, you can actually be on Medicare and be there. Real? Yes. Not in the assisted living though. Sorry? Not in the assisted living portion. Oh, I think that's true too. No, it's I'm going to disagree with you. Hmm. Yeah, and so, I mean, what are you trying to say? Huh? I mean, I, I think everybody agrees that we need this. And so, are you saying no chapter 8 standards? Or, you know, where, you know, in any of you, I mean, what's, what would make you comfortable with mitigation? If any, I think it's a function of density and headcount. Okay. So you think? I do. Two different sizes for me as well. Yeah. County road status? I mean, yeah, that could be part of it. But then you would have. I'm sorry. Headcount. Or density, how do you want to do it? <laughs> to be in transit, it's the same way. Okay. And I agree with Steve. County road status, I think, is important. We struggled with infrastructure and buildings at the uh, boundary also, and uh, 
the different amenities that went along with structuring of their sobriety and the uh, walking paths, the uh, riding of the horses, all, there was all kinds of things that came into play and the, the neighbors, some of them didn't want to stay, some did, but I think uh, infrastructure is a major, like Chad said, there are a few trees put around different areas where they put the yurt up, it's like that just all of a sudden showed up. Then they had more people and they wanted more water. They had less water. Neighbors argued that one day. So water, sewer, roads, and same thing with a gravel pit or a lake that's going in. Some kind of buffer for the neighbors if it did. Well, I've heard somebody also mention appearance. You know, that that, you know, I'll bring up an example. The, uh, maintenance building for Catamount, the Catamount Metro District. So across 40 from the golf course at Catamount Ranch, there's that building that sits off on the side. And I was pushing pretty hard for make it look like a farmhouse, okay? And they kind of took some of that into consideration when the commission approved it as is. So have to admit that if it looked more like a barn or something, it would fit into the landscape a little better, you know, or, or a big house. You know, so I mean, is that maybe a good example? Is that something that would you want something that I would look institutional? Yep, that would be a good. That would be a good. One. Well, look at what we do even with the storage units. Yeah, put a barn face on the front. I mean, it's kind of dumb when you really look at it, but <laughs> well, it is because it's a front, and once you go by it, it's all that rust after that. That's what. Industrial. From a straight-on appearance and from the average guy, they look at that, oh, that's kind of nice. I think okay. architectural compatibility is something. Okay. okay. Even in a, in a uh, urban environment, yeah, I'd say that. Too. And what okay. about, like, accessory use to the facility as well for, like, a dude ranch or something like that, having less regulations or easier way to get through or something like that? Since it'll be more compatible with mass plan. It'll look more rural and everything else like that as well. Agreed. Okay. Some of these larger facilities fit really well into your PUD category, it seems to me, where you have ancillary uses. And no? I mean, it is it is an option, definitely, for, um, for any proposal to come through as a PUD. Um, but, but you try to stay away from PUDs. They're generally not favored upon, um, just based on. <laughs> Did I just say that? Yeah, but they make their own zoning. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it does allow for that flexibility and zoning. <laughs> it's all case by case. Well, but I mean, that is—is is that not a viable alternative to what we're talking about? For, for a resident, for. Um, yeah. Well, that's why we reviewed them as a guest ranch in the past for that reason. Yeah, I would agree. So we can put together some standards and then based on some of the comments for our next discussion on this, 
which won't be till November, so we definitely still have a lot of work to do. <laughs> that will give us time to do more research, and you know, so this is just really <clears throat> testing the waters right now and just getting some of that preliminary feedback. I mean, I am guessing you wouldn't allow them in the mining district. Huh. In the what district? Mining. mining. Oh. Our industry. Well, that was my next one. Your industry. Or why wouldn't you do it in the industrial though? I mean, I could see someone, you know, having a workshop or something like that. Like a halfway house or something where they're building and doing stuff and they're, you know, doing something. Never mind. For the community. <laughs> Never mind. Really got Hot speak historic? That could be it. I was going to do that when I was happy to do that. I have 12. So. But I was talking about the trailer for Mobile Home District? Yeah, the MHR. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a whole bunch of tiny houses. It, it, anything else that you guys want between now and next time we talk about this? More examples? I think we gave you enough. We're as confused as we were walking in. Okay. <laughs> but what, what you see it as a set of. Probably makes more sense. Set of rights. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. We didn't have enough brain damage. We're on to the next. So. Well, at least this one I started from scratch. We're halfway there. Pick up the other half. Yeah. How many of you were actually here for our recreational facility discussion back in 2016? Steve? Yeah. Oh, is that Really? Wow. All right. Okay. I guess for some reason well, Again, how do we get to this point? So this is a follow-up discussion from 2016. Uh, the basis of that little background was STARS, the STARS application that came through. And at that time, we only had one line in the, in the land use chart for, for a recreational facility. And that was through a conditional use permit. The STARS application, as you know, had an overnight accommodation component to it. It was commercial, and after going through the process, staff, you know, and I think some the direction from the Board of County Commissioners was to take a look at this again, and I think there was an agreement that something like STARS shouldn't be reviewed the same as just a recreational facility that is a conditional use permit, uh, reviewed as a conditional use permit, for a wedding venue that has no overnight accommodations or uh, without any accommodations and that is not a guest ranch. So the short fix at that time was to amend the regulations and to create that new process if you had the overnight accommodations, which was the trigger. Um, most of the board um, and planning commission at that time agreed that this should be a bigger conversation later on down the road <laughs> and really focus on additional triggers of, um, of what we should be considering. And the trigger to elevate an application to an SUP was overnight accommodations originally, 
but it was regardless of size, number of beds, or intensity of use at that time. Employee housing. So that's really what we're looking at. Should they all be reviewed the same just because you have overnight accommodations? And if you saw in the staff report, and I'll bring that up on a separate PDF, we created that comparison chart for you um, just so you can see what applications have been, we have permits for that are out there. Um, and just really quick on that definition, I will not read the entire thing. Really what was changed to create the <coughs> definition was to include uh, the includes overnight accommodations and the overnight accommodation component is accessory and normally incidental to the overall permitted use of land. So we've been given direction by the board to have this discussion here. Examples are in your staff report and for sake of this discussion, we just ease of this discussion, I will bring that up. For your viewing pleasure. I, I couldn't get it into the presentation for some reason, but there you go. So, you know, a good example right up front is Green Creek Ranch. I don't know how many of you were part of that discussion. Uh, it was a few, probably around the same time as well, 2016, 2017. But that is a private rec facility. Uh, there are only overnight accommodations for their guests and for the owner of that facility. They do have numerous type of amenities that go along with, um, that accompany the, the overall use of that property. It is over 750 acres. They also, I think the, the key too on that application is that they wanted a museum. There is an old historic house on the property that they wanted to restore and looking at our land use chart we're like okay, there's no <laughs> nothing that you can point to there it's not accessory mm -hmm. so that was reviewed as a cup i don't even think we had the sup in place at the time so that was reviewed as a cup um, the next two down are for wedding venues, which we review as a rec facility, no overnight accommodations, but they're open to the public. Um, moving down, the next grouping here are all facilities that have that overnight component. They were all reviewed as CUPs, but they're all part of a bigger um, type operation. They are private. You have to live there to to benefit from those amenities and um, should they be reviewed as a CUP, an SUP? Um, moving on, we have the STARS application. Um, I gave you the background on that. That was reviewed as a CUP. That's open to the public. And now you have a couple of the guest ranches that are truly that. I mean, the guest ranches have the supportive type amenities of a working ranch. They are actual lodges that you go to, you can stay, they're all open to the public. 
Um, and then for good measure here, I added just a list of PUDs, just so you, if you thought of something and you're like, well, how did that get approved? They're PUDs. <laughs> so um, there are several that have overnight accommodations and most of those actually, in fact, all of them are commercial type operations. Lake Catamount. Well, uh, um, <clears throat> yes, I mean, you can go, they have a restaurant. Oh, yeah, you can it. It's the restaurant that keeps it over, I think. Yeah. yeah. The you you can't stand there. there. Correct, yeah. So, that brings us to the questions at hand. And just to start the conversation, it should all recreational facilities having an overnight component to it regardless of size or intensity of use or nature of the primary use be reviewed the same. And that really kind of will get us to the next question. Ask the question again, please. Should they all be SCPs, you mean? Yes. Should it, regardless of the size or the intensity of use of the proposal, if it hasn't, just because it has overnight accommodations, should they all be reviewed as an SUP? I got you. Yes. <laughs> what if it's a polyamorous? What if it's private and there's only accommodations for two homes, two families? So I'm saying, I mean, looking at the Alpine Mountain Ranch, for example, you know, they have, I don't know if it changed, but the original proposal was just one duplex cabin. You know, and it's only for the um, guests family and guests of the people that own you know, a house or landed at a hundred range. So, you know, I or, or or is that enough? You know, so I'm just kind of giving you examples of Well the, so the, the real question is do we consider employee housing as overnight accommodations? So yeah, I guess that would be preferred. Yeah. Sure. And Chad's example would fall under the next question, which is, should there be consideration to review this differently if they're private operations with shared amenities, such as the so, Alpine Mountain Ranches, Mar Maribu, Windwalker. Wind Walker. So when they take Windwalker as an example, mm -hmm. if the folks that own this group that owns Windwalker down in Alabama, where they're from, wake up one morning and say, okay, we're going to sell this place. That zoning, I mean, that stays with the land, does it not? It's a permit. It's the permit. Oh, it's the SUP, so that's gone. Yeah. Well, that's not trans. Well, it is transferred. Well, well, but it, it creates a non-conforming situation if the permit is gone because it's a it's a lodge with maybe some bedrooms surrounded by five cabins without kitchens. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So, but still. Yeah. But but in that case, I mean, they they got six hundred acres. You know, it could get bigger. But that's not my, my issue is, that's an SUP. If they sell, they can transfer the SUP, but with our approval or your approval? They have to agree to the existing conditions of approval, and then it can be transferred to a new owner. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. yeah. And meaning they're going to abide by whatever conditions. So I think the concern should be, it was private. It had an SUP. It has overnight accommodations. 
It, it was a CUP. Right. Right. Yeah, By that was before. before. Correct. Before right. Yeah, right. So, assuming it was an SUP, you mean? Okay. But actually, either way. Okay. In the event of the sale, are we okay if it continues on under that permit and continues under those conditions? Would they have to? Or if it went to a sale and it becomes public, does that really impact anything? As long as they're maintaining and complying with the same conditions, do we care? Right, yeah, if they can yeah. under the same conditions, then it doesn't matter. It's just and a that is a good point. Yeah. Does it matter if it's public or private? I don't, I mean, it's, it's interesting because if you look at all the CUPs, and uh, they're both, it's even, I guess. Well, there's more privates than publics. Mm-hmm. in the CUP categories. And there's more publics in the SUPs. Yes. So the default is it's always back to the conditions in the permit. Right. I don't know. It sure seems to me that we I would differentiate between employee housing versus lodges. It seems to me employee housing makes sense, and I don't know if that's really necessary for us to have a SUP. Okay. But I would think that when it gets to housing for the public, it should be SUP, which is pretty much what we've been doing. And the next question is, do we do that with the private? I just think that overnight accommodations, I would think, require the next level of review, security, something. I think that's sleeping on your body. But you can do that at CUP. That's private. Well, that's the debate. The old, the they old, got stuck the old way. The old way. The old way. Right, it's just, you know, when I when I got here, there may have been more emphasis on is it different between public and private. And, I, and But I think the big thing that's changed since then is the money, you know, the, the, and, the, and the size of these private rec facilities. I mean, Green Creek Ranch was a good example that, you know, the owner of that ranch, you know, is very wealthy. And it's, from what I understand, it's... The, it's his big backyard that he invites his friends and his business. You know, uh, do you have a list of amenities up there? You know, that including yeah, museum caretaker, others. I mean, you can fish, you can ride snowmobiles, you can hunt, um, stay the night in the earth, I think. You know, and the list kind of goes on and on. You know, and so we didn't really see that 20 years ago. You know, that right. somebody had that kind of a big backyard with all those amenities. So, but um, I guess here, I think where this comes up and what we heard during this last discussion, and I think Troy in particular had a lot of heartburn when it came to this particular issue. I know he's disappointed yeah. not being here tonight, but so a lot of those um, amenities could be considered uses by right. So. Yeah. The question is, should they be considered under a permit? And I think the fact of the matter is, it's back to that intensity of use discussion. Because 
I think with some of these um, rec facilities, you can't just look at each use in a silo. You have to look at the whole operation holistically. Would you agree? Well, the classic was Elk River Guest Ranch. Yeah, that was another one. It was tough, yeah. I mean, that's why we came up with this list in the, in the, um, originally because of that application. Just trying to see that comparison and, and, and looking at the other guest ranches and what, what are all the uses we're actually talking about to the relation to the size of the property. So, I mean, from, from a staff perspective, I think that is the real issue. Um, whether it's private or commercial, um, I'm, I'm not so hung up on that. I think it's the intensity of use and looking at it in a holistic manner. So, so I guess I'd like to get that feedback from you guys. Do you think there should be a difference between public, private, and commercial private? I don't really think so. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, I think our obligation is to the county in general. I don't. And Are there other areas that we discern between private and public? I don't think so. I mean, there might have been one land use definition where it did say commercial, but I think there was an anticipation that there would be more intensity with commercial, but I forget what that is. But overall, no. I'm sorry, I don't have that one, but let's say no. Okay. And to a limited extent, we're already heading down that road anyway. I think. So if you don't really see a difference between public or private, do you see a difference on whether those amenities are shared? Or if it's like a green, for example, Green Creek Ranch, where it's one owner who brings guests versus a windwalker where there are several owners or Alpine Mountain Ranch um, where there are several owners that use those amenities. Do you see a difference there? How can you distinguish that when somebody is Well, through Alpine Mountain and Maribu, maybe windwalker is a bad example because that's an LLC. But but those are individually owned. But it was just one giant. Property. But they're all. But they're they're individual properties. They're individual properties okay. and okay. residences okay. in the subdivision. Most of those are LPS. Yeah, I guess. Okay. So maybe I didn't. So like individual properties in a in an area. Yes. Common amenities to the overall project. Well, if they're shared, I would think they would be covered under some sort of CCNRs, HOA, just like this tiny house was, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's a single owner, and that can be handled with conditions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In most of those instances, too, there was generally an LPS or subdivision that was reviewed for a lot of the impacts and such already before mm -hmm. the rec facility came through. So does it need to go through an SUP also? <laughs> so I think going down the list real quick, yeah. that 
it sounds like, in, again, dividing that line when it stays with you when it goes up to the board, um, employee housing is not. Um, Correct. Did, does not, or not. Yes, yes, it's CUD. Yeah, it, employee housing are not overnight accommodations. Right. Um, that I guess we could tweak that definition to say it doesn't matter whether it's private or commercial. I would agree. And is it that any, sounds like any amount of overnight accommodation for private or commercial should be, that should be an issue. Yep. And I don't know, the only logic that is in my head, I think we have an obligation to whomever, the county, to at least ensure the overnight accommodations meet reasonable standards of some type. And that's why we're kind of wandering into the private sector. Does that make sense to you? What type of standards? Sanitary conditions. Oh, means Just all that. Hygiene if they cook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no. Well, and I think it's also so that there is a process for overnight accommodations. I mean, obviously there's VRBOs and Airbnbs that are going on under the radar. Um, but somehow we ought to have a process where it says, no, if you're going to have people for short-term stays on your property, you need to kind of go through the process. And keep in mind that the overnight accommodations are secondary to the use. recreation facility use. Right. So you've that's, got... That's good. And I guess we can, I don't know, does the definition really clarify that? It does, actually. It does, but... Okay. Yeah, the overnight accommodation component is accessory and normally incidental to the overall permitted okay. use. So the primary use on that land is the recreation. That's not good. Well, that's a planning question. I mean, because, you for, for the STARS application, that was one of the biggest concerns from the opposition. That, hey, this thing is a hotel first with a couple of little, you know, amenities. Oh. But the Planning Commission basically said, no, nah, I don't agree with that. It's the recreation first and these accommodations are second. And, you know, is there anything, and we'll be thinking of this too for next time that we could help. Um, quantify that. In in this instance of a rec facility, is it just you know when you see it, or can we put something in chat rate that says, yeah, you know what what makes it accessory? I need that's a tough. You need to put some stuff together so we can just continue this debate. You bet. Because I think we're getting confused. Yeah, there are a lot of yawns going on out here. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I think we've got sufficient direction to draft up. Yeah, um, I get it. Okay. Stop. We can't continue if Roberta leaves. Huh? We can't continue if Roberta leaves. So. Close the new gym. So you have a staff board, and so make it quick. Yeah, I know. Make it quick. Yeah. That's the main thing to do. Yes. Even if you spend all your time. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. So one more time, if you have a staff report, do it and make it quick. Okay. <laughs> Look, um, 
Do you want me to go over the meetings real quick? Real quick. Real quick, because I know you're fading. What did you say? Huh? <laughs> All right. Upcoming meeting. September 19th, work session on Fee and Lou, public lands. Yep. October 17th, we got something. Wait, wait a minute. September 19th, we have a meeting, right? Yeah. Yes. Public land use. Yeah, the fee and Lou discussion. So basically, that's uh, reg amendment, just like tonight. It's a, it's a, the first work session. Well, you know, we'll be looking at um, how to amend our fee and lieu standards. Um, we took a shot at that at the, I think it was at the joint meeting, the last one you have with the Board of County Commissioners, and, and maybe before that. And there was this emphasis on fixing the regulations as quick as possible because stagecoach was looming. You know, that those guys seem to be serious. And with the amount of subdivisions that could have resulted, we needed a quick fix. Obviously, it didn't happen. And so now we've got an opportunity to kind of sit back a little bit and look at the spectrum of what local governments require as far as development fees or exactions, if you will. And so Alan has, has done some research. We've got some good examples from other local governments, and we'll be sharing those with you. Okay. And, uh, and then we'll take um, your comments to the board. Uh, hidden gravel pit amendments. Uh, it's relatively minor, but we couldn't process it administratively. It's it's the um, uh, best basically. on the nineteenth too. Yeah, and they mainly just want to add a maintenance bay in an office. Oh yeah, it's going. Um, Saw that in the paper. Which Dowdy was at the board on the twenty seventh. That was since we met last. Mm -hmm. That um, that got approved. Oh, did it? I'm um, sorry. It did not. I'm totally lying to you. It, it, got, it, no, it got tabled. I'm sorry. <laughs> For what? Um, the water permit. Yeah, they, the board basically felt like they were being used as a chess piece. They didn't know that? <laughs> they figured it out pretty quick. Okay. Um, so, but, but they did make it clear that We they, didn't know it. Only one person voted against it. <laughs> They, I they did agree across the board. They actually didn't have a problem with what was being proposed. Right. They were okay with the land use, but they didn't want to be put in a position to make a decision to try to sway the city because it's going to have to go to the city for their watershed management and protection process. And as of right now, the city came out in force at that hearing with oh, the board. More so than it did here. Yeah, they were here for hours. Then, just, just one, but um, John Schneider came out. But he didn't come on real strong, as I recall. They did not, but but they did at the BCC. Oh, okay. And they were strongly recommending denial. They were saying that they were not going to approve their water permit, but the applicant through the process has the opportunity to go Not before city one, council um, to um, to ask for right. approval of their permit. So it's kind of gonna be hung up over in over at the city at this point in time. And the board so didn't want to influence that decision. Yep. October third, you're gonna see uh, it's only one thing right now. Uh, utility easement vacation request up at Alpine Mountain Ranch. And uh, October 17th, 
only one item so far, and that's uh, Christie's uh, Carpenter Ranch CUP amendment. Um, that's all I have there. I actually talked with uh, Greg a little bit about filling in for Board of Adjustments. There's a meeting on Monday. Um, there are only three of them, quorums five, so I need two planning commission members to fill in. We got one already. I got a staff report for you. Is there any way that could make it six six o'clock here? When? Uh, it's Monday. Monday. Yeah, this Monday yep. at six o'clock. I got a board meeting. And if, if you've never, you know, it's, I can give you a crash course on BOA. It's pretty simple. There's only five criteria. There's no wheeling and dealing. You know, it is it is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, we're also reaching out to the commissioners who are not here tonight. But I just wanted to see if uh, if any of you would be interested. Uh, I no. I nominate Rupert. <laughs> Sorry. John. Yeah, I can't. This is Monday, Done. September 9th. I guess. As it is Monday. I could do it, I guess. One time. What a team player. It is Broncos Monday Night Football, I just realized. <laughs> hey, you know what's going on tonight? Yes, what? I do. Bears Packers. So this is your no, for planning commission. Oh, yeah, right. No, for planning commission. Oh, yeah. Find some of your neighbors. I've already uh, put up. Okay. Is it the two so only, only Greg here tonight. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, uh, uh, John said yes. Oh, John. Okay. And the grand. Did you say somebody was talking here, served at all the meetings? No, I didn't. Let's we'll we'll stick that up. Let's get the bonus That is all I have. Like at the highway well, to the bar, is. they're matched. Yeah. And they say, tomorrow we have no town yeah. hall. We all call for the Oh, this one by you. I'll take turns. Is that right? So this is my, this will be a briefing. Yeah, so if you can swing by my office, great. If you can't. Um, like being earlier, ten three and all five thirty. Or. Sure. Oh, there's also the the applicant for the second item yeah, on that agenda read that it was going to be a, 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 that it is staff recommendation for denial. She said, "Can I have the BOA come out for a site visit?" And we said we would extend that invitation. So we're going to be leaving the office about three thirty. I know that's much to ask. It's just totally optional. This is Monday. Monday. So, if you could make it for a site visit earlier in your day, I don't think taking another out of your in these, in, in terms Maybe of none of the BOA members. Yeah, feds or in terms of like, yeah, neighbors. And compliance with the feds, yes. So, we're done. Okay, we're done. Okay. Yeah, actually, well, the way that he was written from the Supreme Court, it's very bad because it doesn't mean it's numbers. Yeah. It's numbers. Well, then there you so go. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and there right. is no. So, yeah, John, you're talking about what number everybody's using. Right. And in our case, using personal instead of the definition of family. Right. That's what it comes across. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi.